does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Like, it's a celebration Friday. We're not going to go with cool in the gang level, but it's celebration Friday, baby, because the weekend is upon us, right? We've got great matchups in the NFL. We've got an unbelievable two-minute drill lined up today where we're going to talk to every market that's alive in the National Football League, excluding San Francisco. And on top of that, How about last night? Now, let me give a confession to you, the listeners of Indianapolis, and you, Eddie Garrison, and you, Jimmy Cook, okay? Rarely do I ever do this. Maybe I should do it more. Rarely. I'm a night owl. I think most people know that. Total night owl. I love, I'm not saying like, I'm saying love. Like Robert Indiana level statue love. I love the West Coast games when the Pacers are on the road. I love staying up late watching them. You feel like this, like you're the, like you're a real fan. You know, you're like you're the one that's sticking by them and riding it out, sure. and staying up late. Glad you do. And that's right. Well, I do. I, I should Eddie be the one in here producing, right? Because it's that's my jam. Like my, I, I am literally like a, I'm like a vampire. Midnight's when I I hit my groove, but. I had an appointment very early this morning, and knowing that the roads were going to be sketchy, I knew that that meant I had to get up even earlier than normal, really early. And I was I get sleep anxieties when I know I've got to get up early because it is not my body's rhythm. So I went to bed earlier last night than usual, and I did not see, and I, maybe people are going to be upset with me because it's, you know, Regent Bryan's probably going to throw a fit here that I didn't actually watch a game. <laughs> I'm contemplating not doing the show. But I, I woke up. I know. I woke up and literally my, my phone was blown up with people, including my Aussie buddies that were in Sacramento for the game about the Pacers win last night. And there was a lot to celebrate about it and a lot to like about it. Notably, Eddie Garrison, I'll put you on the spot since you are the producer for the Indiana Pacers radio network and you were listening to the game. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the thing that I most liked about the game yesterday? Last night, Isaiah Jackson goes down, and you get other guys to step up. Uh, Jarris Walker, okay, big and Ben Shepard. Jarris Walker and 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 well, Shepard as well, right? Mm-hmm. But Jarris Walker finally starting to kind of come out of his shell a little bit, hitting threes. And you know, we know obviously just in terms of his body type, what he may be able to eventually become for them as a defensive player. But Jimmy, the reality is having a guy like that that is showing that the game is slowing down for him a little bit is a really good sign. Yeah, it's a massive upside for this Pacers team in terms of trusting their developmental process. And we talked about it with Benedict Matherin, who also had a sensational game last night. It is tough, regardless of where you're drafted, unless you're like a consensus number one or top five pick, and even then you're going to see struggles. It is tough to not rush to judgment in today's society one way or another on a rookie player. There are different ways in today's NBA to go about developing talent. And the Pacers have felt like and have been pretty open about this. 
since they drafted Jarris Walker that A, there's still things he needs to work on, but B, there's been kind of this log jam for the position that he specifically plays. And that means that it's a lot of G League time and it's a lot of bench sitting, learning, growing when he's called up to the NBA. And when those opportunities arrive to actually get playing time, there's a lot of pressure there because he wants to maximize the minutes and he wants to prove that, hey, I belong to see a game like that where there were still, they highlighted on the broadcast a couple times last night, some errant passers where he's trying to maybe do a little bit too much, but those are good signs you want to have on tape combined with the scoring output that he had. That is a very promising sign to see that from Jarris Walker. That is the voice of Jimmy Cook, by the way. This is Quarry and Company here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan, thanks for listening to us. Jimmy, of course, the president of the company. Eddie Garrison is our CEO. The other big thing that we're celebrating, we're celebrating a lot from last night. Jarris Walker feeling more comfortable. TJ McConnell. Oh. I, and listen, I, I said... For a month now, I've been telling you folks, he TJ McConnell is not a guy that the Pacers are looking to trade. TJ McConnell is like people think that TJ McConnell is just this guy, like, well, you know, he's probably falling out of rotation. No, TJ McConnell is an integral part of what they do, period. And showed it last night and invaluable. And now the Pacers getting ready to go to Portland to take on the Blazers tonight. We will see if Tyrese Halliburton returns from injury tonight or if that waits until they get to Phoenix. Indiana in action tonight, taking on Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst, joins us in about an hour. We'll talk college basketball with him. As I mentioned, the two-minute drill, Kevin Bowen as well. Last night, the big one in college basketball. Jimmy, you know what the big game in college basketball was, right? I slept right through it. It was another West Coast game. Oh, yes, I do know what the exact game you're talking about was. It was a thriller between Long Beach State and the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. And I believe I said that the, if that it was a 10-point game that I'd get you guys t-shirts, right? You did. And the final point spread was? The 49ers of Long Beach State, 79. The Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, 71. Only an eight-point victory. Here's the thing, though. For Long Beach State. So I didn't get you guys the t-shirts, right? Right. You brought in the Boddingtons, did you? Oh. All right. So I brought in... I want you guys to try it. We're going to do it right here on the air right, on Celebration Friday, right? Let's do it. Shall I go? Oh, you got cups? I do. I have fabulous cups here. He came prepared. This is, I figured we'd do this on a Friday, and I would, it imported from Britain. Beautiful. Uh, here we go. Now, now, you'll be able to hear the little, what did you say is the term that's in here? Now, this might go everywhere. The widget. Okay, hold on. I want to make sure that I'm being careful. See? Oh, boy. <laughs> yep. Yep. We got an issue. <laughs> All right. Yep. <laughs> We got paper towels, Eddie. <laughs> now you got it. I don't know if you know this or not, but you have to. When you pour these, you have to do it kind of against the cup so that it doesn't overly foam. Um, but I want you guys to try this and see what you think of it. And I'm not, you know, you're not obligated to enjoy it, but I think it's pretty good. Would I you like it? Would you like me to? Uh, I'm gonna wait for Eddie, obviously, right? I don't want to uh-huh, sure. go without him. Eddie's gone to, to go get paper towels. The, the the wig it or whatever we call that thing uh, caused a little bit of a. Uh, so there is, but there leakage. is one of those in there, just like Guinness. There you go. How about yeah. that? All right. Yeah, it's in there. All right. All right. There we go. So for those that are unfamiliar, I just mentioned that I enjoyed. I had discovered Boddington's, which has been around forever, but it was purchased recently. It's no longer like the original British. It's made, I think, by AB. Um, but I found it, and so I decided that you guys, I wanted you guys to try it. Paul, the mailman, said it tastes like soap. 
I don't think it does. I think it actually is pretty decent. Um, but nonetheless, there you go. I will say right off the top, I'm not like a big Guinness fan. I will have it around St. Patrick's Day Eddie. like most do. From a color standpoint, it is very much living up to its name of being a pub ale. It's not very dark. It looks very... It's a caramel color. Correct. It's not not as dark as as coffee say, colored as the. It looks Guinness. like a alcohol al- uh, apple cider. I'm sure it's not what it's going to taste like. I feel very confident in that. But from well, a visual standpoint, yeah. you are correct. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, yeah. I will let you guys. And, and by the way, just so people know, I mean, literally, these guys are having like Dixie cup sizes of this. Yeah. I don't want people to think we're being irresponsible. Correct. If they're in the break room, they can see that. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. Okay. So, and, and by the way, there's. We're doing this just out of the goodness. This isn't even like some sort of a testimony, so feel free to say whatever your honest opinion is. Uh, go ahead, Eddie. What do you think? Oh, I can be honest this time? Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, as opposed to the, when the, I bought you back the shrimp chips from China and you complained about it the entire time. Oh, that's good. Very yummy. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yes. How would you describe the taste? Very smooth. Yes. Um, Crisp. How about how about you asked me this yesterday and I thought about it. How about this? Slight banana and clove taste. Yes. Yeah. Little little little, little, fair, little bit little bit. It, it's not like you mentioned, it's not like you're drinking a banana bread ale like where it overwhelms right. it. It's a little bit towards the back end. Yes. Also, uh, the furthest thing from soap I've ever tasted. So. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what Paul the Mailman's talking about. Um hey, I want to get into off of yesterday because it was a topic of conversation both on our show and then on John's show as well. Uh, and it is a serious matter and one that I, I think is premature is the wrong word, but I think it's worth bringing up. We had Bob Kravitz on yesterday and Greg Doyle was on as well um, talking about whether or not it is time for Jim Irsay to relinquish control of the Indianapolis Colts over into the hands of his daughters, which I think we know ultimately, assuming that the that it stays within the family once, and certainly we'll say you know twenty years from now or twenty five years from now, whatever it might be. But when the time comes where Jim Irsay, where there is a you know an inheritance of the franchise, it is assumed by design that it would be the three daughters that would equally get the franchise in terms of ownership. I, you know, maybe it's different percentages. I don't know. And, and certainly don't anticipate, or obviously it goes without saying, have any hope or desire that that would be imminent. But in terms of the day-to-day operation, I think it's an interesting question to raise and it's worth repeating and I don't want to speak for Bob or Greg, but I think they would agree when I say this um, that they would feel the same way about this. This is not a conversation to imply that Jim Mersey's struggles with addiction or his illness of being an addict deem him to be that he should be disciplined or reprimanded for that. That's not, I don't think the spirit of the conversation. I think it more is if medically speaking, he is unavailable to be able to be coming in on a day-to-day and doing operations of the franchise, at what point, just based on absence, does that then 
and I'm you know obviously it is being run in his absence if he's not around the franchise. But it, but is the conversation at some point worth turning of saying, hey, because you have health issues, whether it be a respiratory illness or addiction or whatever it might be, but you have medical issues that are prohibiting you from being around the building. So we want you to focus on that and get healthy as opposed to worrying about the day-to-day nuances and struggles and stresses of running a football team. And I think that's a very fair and real conversation to have. And one that I would assume probably behind closed doors has taken place. I don't know. There is also, as Bob had pointed out, there is an element of Jim Mersey's health is a private matter. My health is a private matter. Your health, Jimmy, is a private matter. It's only as public with people as we would like to, as we want it to be. And that is respected. But the slippery slope is, as Bob had mentioned, and I I tend to agree with him on this, because of the public tax dollars that go into the Indianapolis Colts, then that does, I'm not saying that that means that there needs to be total transparency of his health, because that is indeed a private matter. But I do think that the Carolina Panthers or the Dallas Cowboys, I I don't know the specifics in those markets, but I'm assuming that the owner of those markets does not have public subsidy. And what I mean by that is with the Indianapolis Colts, the lease with the city of Indianapolis is stated as such that the Colts organization is entitled to a percentage of every non-football revenue dollar that comes into Lucas Oil Stadium, and I believe it's 40%. So when the FFA kids come for their convention that uses Lucas Oil Stadium, if they're paying $100,000 to rent Lucas Oil Stadium, 40% of that goes to the Indianapolis Colts. If you buy a ticket for a U2 concert for $100, $40 of that goes to the Indianapolis Colts. And then you buy a beer for $12, $4.80 of that goes to the Indianapolis Colts. And so with that financial agreement does come some civic responsibility within the organization to assure from a civic standpoint that they are being run or overseen or decisions are being made at the absolute most pristine level of the sound nature in which they can. And I get that that is a slippery slope and it's no disrespect in any way, shape, or form to Jim Ursay or anybody else, but rather the city wants the assurance that it is being run in an absolute, like clicking on all cylinders, narrow focus level. And that's a conversation that I think is a fair one to have and it's been those two guys kind of brought it into the forefront. I think it's fair. And I think a lot of a lot of people have asked me, like, do you think that's a fair conversation? I do, and it's because of the public dollars. And then, you know, the, the, the conversation in terms of actual ownership is one for another time. But in terms of whether or not – and it wouldn't be the first time that Jim Irsay has allowed for someone else to take over football operations day-to-day. I think – 
it's pretty accepted amongst people that were close to the franchise at the time, or at least that covered it, that Jim Irsay in another situation, another period in his life where he had some struggles with his addiction and with some things medically speaking, that's when Bill Pullian was brought in by the NFL to do the football day-to-day operations. So there is precedent there, and thankfully, and kudos to Jim Irsay of the fact that those were not permanent arrangements. He he obviously got to the point where he got control of the team back and has been a fantastic owner. I, I mean, you know, he's an owner that is philanthropic. He is an owner that is dedicated. He's an owner that loves football and wants to win, and he's an owner that is willing to share the spoils of his franchise to a great extent with the people of Indianapolis, both from a celebratory winning standpoint and then also the fun things that he does to allow people to be able to see his franchise up close and personal. The training camp, allowing people to come out, go to practice, see practice free, the the Willy Wonka contest that he did in order to get a Super Bowl ring, the contest that he does on social media. I mean, there is no denying that he is a man that is equally passionate about the city of Indianapolis as he is his football team. But if that passion right now is such that it cannot be exhibited with 100% effort in terms of the operation of his team, then yes, it's a conversation that I think is a fair one to have. And those two guys brought it up yesterday, Jimmy, and I thought it was interesting. Um, But that's neither here nor there in terms of the ownership currently. I I mean, I get that. I'm just talking about the, the running inside of the building. And I mean, a lot of that is there's so much in depth in terms of the way that NFL transfer of power, transfer of ownership goes. A lot of that is very in-depth legality-based things that, that take time, that take different moving pieces to get it together. And that'll be a conversation. And again, if there is a clearer picture, then maybe that does need to be had. I know that from Greg's standpoint and from Bob's standpoint, from a place of well-mindful thought, that's kind of what they feel is already deserving. From my standpoint, where things are at, like, I think I speak for you, Jake, and I speak for everybody that's ever come in contact with Jim Irsay. Regardless of what happens with the team, I just hope that he's all right and right. that there is a a light at the end of the tunnel of whatever it is he's going through. You know, last night, uh, speaking of light at the end of the tunnel, uh, Shawshank was on. You guys did not see it, right? Did you notice that our, your Twitter mentions kind of blew up for a while there with I, people noticing I, it I was on? I did get that, yes. I appreciated the head nod. I did not. Did you resist the temptation? I did resist, yes. Eddie? I did resist. You were thinking about it, weren't you? No. Come on now. But if it was on Paramount, like was tweeted at me, then I have Paramount Plus, so I could very easily give in to temptation at some point and just watch it. I'm going to show my naivete about like television channels in 2024. Sure. I will readily admit, my name is Jake Query. I'm in the second half century of my life, and certain things have passed me by. And that includes like the the way that television and channels like that sometimes are ingested. I mean, we do have like every single app and whatever else. But somebody said, hey, Shawshank is on Paramount Plus at 8 o'clock. Shout that, out to Ryan Noblet. I hope I'm saying your last name right. That's who that, sent it this tweet. Ryan, that threw me off, and I'll tell you why. I thought Paramount Plus was an app where it's a la carte. Well, so all he said was, to clarify his tweet, not to confuse you further, 
All he said was it's on Paramount, and there is definitely a channel called Paramount. Okay, I, see, I, did, I thought Paramount was an app. Right, it is. It, Paramount Plus is an app. It's all underneath like gotcha. CBS, Viacom, right? I knew that umbrella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay, so there's a Paramount. So it was on the Paramount channel, and then there's the Paramount channel, and then the Paramount app. Correct. Correct. Okay. So same subject or same conversation, a little bit different subject. Eddie Garrison, you might be able to weigh in on this. I know that Andy Sweeney has talked about this on the wake-up call with KB and Andy in the morning. Bally, which is the broadcast carrier of the Indiana Pacers and obviously other NBA teams, Bally had found itself in financial trouble. Diamond is the name of the company, correct, that owns Bally, Eddie? And they they were in some financial trouble and – they were they were actually standing. I don't know if you know this or not, but but in the world of the super uh, the information superhighway, the Bally kids were standing on the corner with a cardboard sign that said, "You know, need money, please help." Losing money vigorously. We'll stream for food. We'll stream for food. Yeah. And then Jeff Bezos pulled up. He was at a stoplight and he looked over and he rolled the window down and said, "What do you need? I can help you out." And so Amazon Prime bought into. They threw some money in the hopper. And my understanding is that that means that games will eventually be streamed on Amazon Prime. Now, initially, you needed to have if if you had a broadcast cable provider that did not include Bally, you could buy the Bally Sports app to be able to watch Pacer games. Do you still need to do that, or are they eventually going to be on Amazon Prime, thus negating the need for the Bally Sports app? I don't know. I'm reading up on it right now, and I will. Give you an answer here in a second. Okay, because that my understanding is, and Eddie will reclarify his he's reading in deeper. I am going off of what I've heard in the past and what I've consumed in the last five or ten minutes. As it currently stands, my thought is that Amazon is giving Bally like a lifeline to like save them from bankruptcy while taking over some ownership. But my thought would be, and maybe I'm way off on this, like there's a chance I am wrong on this, that it is still would be Bally's arm that is the branding on these broadcasts, meaning not much in that realm would change, but that perhaps it opens the door for games being eventually broadcasted directly through Amazon. So I guess my question would be this, though. If you bought, let's say that you're somebody that bought the Bally app for whatever, and, and it was this guy, right? Here. Kind of pricey, $20 a month. Oh, right? yeah. So are you going to be upset if all of a sudden that also is available on Prime? Or do you just immediately cancel the Bally one? Well, I don't want to upset the Bally folk, but uh, if that happens, I'm already paying for Prime, and uh, I'm only that's in monthly. I'm only locked in monthly for Bally, so sorry about you. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. But I, I, would not be mad about, I would not be mad about it. If I don't think happens. they'd be mad about that because Amazon is the one that's, you know, they're, they're happy right. either way that you're watching it, right? But but so give me again, when do, when are they saying this would take place? Like where Amazon, where they're going to be available on Amazon? So it sounds like it would be after this season. Okay. This is a question. This is from ESPN.com. It's going to read this and see if it answers any questions for us. My favorite teams, RSN, that's Regional Sports Network, for those that don't know, is run by Diamond, parent company of Bally. Are all my teams going to be on Amazon Prime now? Only if you're streaming. Essentially, Amazon Prime would fill the role Diamond originally envisioned for its Bally Sports Plus app providing local fans who ditch their cable subscription with a streaming option. This funding in the deal would allow Diamond 
to also keep the linear television rights, regular cable, so fans who can who stick with cable can maintain their normal viewing habits. So what that reads to me is it'll still be a diamond interface, but instead of it being right. on the Bally Sports it'll, Plus app, it would be on correct, Amazon Prime. Correct. You, you, I'm sorry, sir. That that me, we we still serve that meal, but you don't get it at this restaurant now. You go to the neighboring cafeteria, right? Yeah, that's basically what, what it sounds means. like. Did you say that it would not take an effect for NBA until next season? I, the I way did it's find worded, that. it makes it seem like that it's not going to take place until next season. So you got to stick the, around with that Bally app for another year, there, Jimmy. Correct for the NBA. Now the MLB, it does sound like there is some hope that it could transition to Amazon correct. Prime this, this season, upcoming right? summer. And for what it's worth, uh, again, it's a tough spot, right? Because like I have given my gripe with Diamond, I don't have any issue. With the diamond-based employees, for example, Kristen Airy no, of course. And, and, yeah. and and Jeremiah Johnson and Quinn Buckner and Eddie Gill, I have, uh, Pat Boylan. I have no problem with any of them, and it's where I feel torn with it. But Jake, I'm not locked in for the rest of the year. I'm locked in for the rest of the season. And once that bad boy's done, I'm sorry, Bally, I'm out. Well, I'm the done. good news for if you've got an app for Major League Baseball and you're a Reds fan, the good news is you usually could have canceled that by June. But now I thought it was April. <laughs> around then, right? Trust me, it's been a while. Uh, all right, last night, back to it. Pacers, big win in Sacramento. We will look at that, tell you exactly what took place and who some of the heroes were and some of the really good news. There's a good vibe, it feels like, on this celebratory Friday about the Indiana Pacers, and we will celebrate some of that, and we'll do it next. Pacers last night, 126-121 winners over the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings, by the way, if you were an original season ticket holder of the Sacramento Kings going back to the very first existence that they had in professional basketball, then you would have initially been a season ticket holder of what franchise? I feel like I get this wrong every time because I picked the second iteration, so I'm going to do that again here. Is it the Kansas City Monarchs or the Kansas City Kings, or is that the second iteration and I'm behind one like I think I am. Correct. Kansas City was their intermediate move. Okay. They came to Sacramento from Kansas City, yep. but they did not start in Kansas City. They were somewhere before they were Kansas City. Eddie is nodding his head. This was brought up during the broadcast last night. Mark Boyle mentioned it. Uh, Rochester. That's right. The Rochester Kings. Seagram's. Oh really? Okay, I I Now what year were they the Rochester Seagrams? Oh, this was the early 1900s, so probably what 1920-40 area. And they then became what? Uh they went so they had a number of different name changes. Seagrams, I'm going to butcher this. Eber Seagrams, then the Pros, then the Rochester Royals, then the Cincinnati Royals. Bingo, there you go. And then the Kansas City Dash Omaha Kings before becoming the Kansas City Kings Correct. outright, and then in '85 moving to Sacramento. Now, what's interesting about when they were the Seagrams? I don't know if you know, but that roster a little bit shorter. There were only seven guys, right? <laughs> they were the Seagram Seven, were they not? I was yeah. going to ask you uh, if uh, they decided to just spin off the Rochester Seagrams, then uh, the uh, Seagrams escapes those uh, those. Pretty malt beverages. Maybe That's they right. were they were spin off. Well, from you know the, the the backcourt of the Little Kings. I don't know if you know <laughs> that or not. Uh, so Benedict Matherin last night was big. Twenty five for Indiana. He led the way, but again, T.J. McConnell with 
TJ McConnell like effort. I, I, I just think McConnell, I, I've said it a thousand times. In, I could save NBA teams so much money in their scouting if they just called me and said, listen, what do we need to know about Indiana? And I'd say, well, here's what you need to know. Tyrese Halliburton's a wonderful player. Miles Turner is a rim protector. They've got development now at guys like Isaiah Jackson, who left last night early with a concussion. But Jalen Smith is capable of very efficient games offensively underneath. Um, And TJ McConnell is a guy that's going to go out there. He's going to drive everybody crazy because he's going to be playing at a motor that is like three times what most people are doing like when the ball's being inbounded. And he is going to come down offensively, and he's going to drive to the right-hand side, and he's going to find an opening that gets him to the baseline, and he's going to drive the baseline underneath the basket, and then he's going to curl around into the middle of the lane, and he's either going to pull up for a really awkward-looking eight-foot jumper, or he's going to recycle the ball out to a wing shooter that's going to knock down a three, and then, when they least expect it, He's going to sneak in, and he's going to steal the inbound pass and score. Have you ever been an outdoor runner? Only in the mini. Okay, so like for the mini, or like if you have shoes where you can put a little tracker in your shoe. I know that's not a thing anymore, really. It's all app-based, but they have the chart where you can look back and see the map that you ran. Yes, yeah, yeah. How many miles Great question. in a game? Not. I don't even mean... Great question. But, but I don't even mean the whole court. I mean just with that little... Drive to the lane, a lap around, and then back out to the corner, resetting yeah, the offense, I mean, or taking a layup. Does TJ McConnell, you think, taking a season? He, he works in 10,000 steps per half court possession, <laughs> exactly, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, Mike joins us on the program, wants to talk about the Pacers. Mike, happy Friday to you, man. Hey, happy Friday, brother. Uh, before I get to my question, man, I just want to give you your flowers. Um, I used to listen to you and Kevin call pretty frequently. And uh, I think I speak for a lot in the city of Indianapolis. I think when we first heard you and Kevin, we kind of we knew you were going to get an opportunity, man. You have taken it and run with it. So congratulations, bro. Um, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And yes, I and sir. you know what? Um, and Jimmy knows I love working with these guys too. But I, Kevin and I and Mark had a lot of fun in the morning as well. So I appreciate that yeah, you listened to us. <laughs> it was definitely a blast. Um, so my questions about the Pacers. They make the Siakam move, and, you know, everybody on Twitter, oh, there's still another move to be made. So one of the biggest, I guess, rumors is Levine. Zach Levine to the Pacers for OB, Jarese Walker, and Buddy Hill. So, you, and you ain't, probably ain't going to have to give up no picks if they make a move because he's got a terrible contract in a sense. Uh, he's under contract for three more years with a player option in 26-27, making 40 40 to 45 million um but if if they were to make a move with that does that put us as front runners in the eastern conference well two things mike and and i will admit i'm not a huge zach levine guy so i'm probably the wrong guy to ask uh obviously if you have three and he's a very talented player i mean i get that um but i don't i don't see it happening i'll tell you why I, i listen if they got him then yeah, they would be there would be a lot of headlines about them. There's no question about that. But you know, I was talking yesterday with somebody with some insight that was saying, look, they're already starting to figure out and plan for the fact that they're gonna have two max guys on the roster at the same time. So I think they are anticipating re signing Siakam long term. 
And that right there between Siakam and Halliburton, that eats up so much of the contract. And then they know because, and this is why, Mike, I appreciate the question. This is why I would say that 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 would stun me if they made that move because they really like Isaiah Jackson and they really like Aaron Neesmith. Now, Neesmith, they've got signed and locked in already and basically on a steal. God, such a great deal. And totally. And they've got Andrew Nimhard on a, a rookie second round draft pick deal, but they know that eventually that's going to have to be taken care of as well and paid because he's played his way into, you know, I mean, he's a probably the numbers that Neesmith is getting, quite frankly. So I think they know that they're auxiliary pieces, and those pieces would be Neesmith, Jackson. Um, you know, TJ McConnell's getting a little long in the tooth, but – you know, obviously, Shepard and Walker, assuming that those guys pan out or are on the trajectory that they want them to be, you've got to save your your pennies a little bit to be able to then appease and maintain that you're keeping in-house some of your guys. I think any franchise knows that it's impossible to always maintain all, but they know that they need to, Jimmy, be conscientious of the fact that on top of the Siakam expected deal – and the Halliburton committed deal, you know, Neesmith, they, they, I'm telling you right now, they stole Aaron Neesmith. Stole him. I mean, Neesmith's deal right now, I think, is what, like 11 or 12 a year? And I know that's a ton and of that, money. And that Don't doesn't hit till next season. He's still on 5.6 right now, I, then it's three and, years and at 11 million is, a season. He is playing his yeah. way into a guy that most places would think would be like an 18 or 20 guy. And that's huge money. And it's, I mean, I get it. But a guy that can guard on the wing, that can hit open threes. Aaron Neesmith at Vanderbilt was a shooter. That's what he was, a shooter, right? And then he has he has molded himself now into, and this is what I absolutely love about him. Aaron Neesmith came to Indiana in a trade. Aaron Neesmith and Jalen Smith both were guys that were buried. They were left for dead in their original spots. Phoenix had given up on Jalen Smith. He was just, I don't know that I would say that Aaron Neesmith was given up on in Boston, but he was buried because they're so loaded with Tatum and Brown and everything else. And so he comes to Indiana and Aaron Neesmith, basically, it's almost like when he got off the plane, he said, what What are you guys missing? Like Aaron Neesmith showed up to the Indiana Pacers as a gourmet pizza chef, but he noticed that they didn't have a lot of fish tacos and they didn't have a lot of souffle and so he just figured out how to make fish tacos and souffle really well oh and by the way i happen to have pizza that's really good if you'd like that too but he did a really good job of figuring out where there were voids in the roster and doing those things guarding being one of them and then outside shooting that he already had i mean that was that was his game to begin with but you're gonna have to make sure from a financial standpoint and a cap standpoint that you're putting yourself in position to be able to take care of things coming around the bend, and I don't see Zach Levine or an acquisition of him being something that assists you in that area. Yeah, bringing on more salary doesn't do that, but another thing that Pacers fans need to keep in mind, and I'm like 95% certain on this, so Eddie, if I'm wrong or if the, the math is wrong on this, you know, tell me and let me know because I know you follow this as close as anybody. The Pacers, with the bird rights for Siakam, with what they will have bird rights at some point in time slash restricted free agency to Benedict Matherin, they are able to go over the cap to retain these guys. Like based on where things go, yes, there is a cap 
in the NBA. It's a salary cap sport, as we know, so it limits what they can do in free agency. But guys that you have the bird rights for, you have the ability to spend over the cap to retain them. And the biggest area for the Pacers where this is a win-win-win across the board, except for the Simons, because you're going to have to pony up serious cash to get all this done. If you're simulating out where things stand, you could potentially, if you wanted to sacrifice depth, go out and get another piece next year if you wanted, depending on where negotiations go with Siakam and, well, primarily Siakam because you still have Turner under control. But even if that isn't the way you go, your best case to have a big three, if that's what you're wanting to have, without sacrificing your depth, is Benedict Matherin continuing to grow this year in his sophomore campaign, and then in that third year, again, I'm not trying to pigeonhole him as this player, having a third year like Paul George did, where he takes a leap forward and it's clear, no, this is another budding star, and the Pacers hit on this draft pick. If that happens you're still having a team control contract on Matherin for another two seasons before he enters restricted free agency. You already have Siakam in place and you have your superstar in Halliburton. I know I'm simulating a ton out there, Jake, but if that happens, you are in a great space if you're the Pacers because you have already made the big swing moves you needed to make. If Matherin does not pan out, then you're going to have to really and get Matherin's creative. interesting, Jimmy, because just when you start to think that maybe he's just a guy, then he steps up in a game like last night and you go, okay, I mean, you know, he, he I mean, that's a big win for them, right? And he's he does have Matherin just has kind of this like killer instinct that I think is becoming more and more rare in the league. And that's what you like about him. It's hard to pass on that. But he it does feel like offensively he still has some limitation. But I but I think it's untapped limitation. I, I would don't agree think with it's that. permanent limitation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And again, I wasn't. And he does have a work ethic that's that, yes. that they love. I will say that he is not. I wasn't build the statue quite mentality by when he was drafted like KB was, but I was as infatuated as anybody. Something that happens in college doesn't mean you're automatically going to translate to a star in the NBA. You talk about it all the time. Just because you're the best player on your college team doesn't mean you're going to be the best player in the NBA. And to survive, you have to accept and adapt to that. But with Benedict Matherin. I'm sorry, I I fell in love with his game during that tournament run and moments where he would take over for Arizona. I believe he has that in him. He doesn't have to be that full elite player because you have that with Tyrese Halliburton already. But if he grows, and we continue to remember he's only a second-year player, if he continues to grow, especially offensively, they are going to have as good of a 1-2-3 punch as anywhere you're going to find in the league, assuming they retain Siakam. Big win last night for Indiana. We'll continue talking about it. Seth Greenberg coming up just under or just over 15 minutes from now, talking a little college basketball. Indiana in action tonight against Wisconsin. Last time they won at Wisconsin was like 1947 or 48, right? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Purdue in Iowa this weekend. That and more with Seth Greenberg. We'll continue the Pacers talk. Uh, Jimmy, stick around. We'll get to you on the other side on a celebratory Friday. It's Quarry and Company, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Jimmy Cook, you go to Pacer games from time to time, right? Yes, I've I seen do. you there. That is true. Your favorite thing about a Pacer game is what? Non-game division, like just in-game experience. Yeah, uh, KeyBank, the KeyBank deal or no deal. Okay, love the crowd participation in that one. That's cool. Yeah, you always feel like also when they bring somebody out there, 
you're like they're gonna give him the full 500 bucks right you're like whenever it's like a charity type thing sure you know what i mean yes um my favorite thing about going to pacer games and i lied to you by the way oh really it's the boomer trampolines it's not close yeah that's me. Cool. i apologize it's boomer trampolines for me i got no problem how about this man how about when boomer gets on the i, mean, I don't even know how you describe it what do you when he repels up repels upward <laughs> yes good lord man could not pay me enough to do that you think right? boomer has workers cop you think i mean it, it's crazy i you know he does it and he's like throwing stuff in the crowd while he's going up i mean it's impressive now you've gone skydiving before i have correct? twice thank you what twice what do you think since you've done that but you've never repelled up like that what for an initial person would be more shell shocking for first time experience what boomer does or skydiving no what boomer does i think what boomer does is scarier because you have you are aware the entire time of the height like when you skydive when you fall out of the plane there's no falling sensation really it's very it's like you're floating it's very hard to explain but your eyes the ground so when you when you come out of a plane and you're looking down at the ground the ground visually from five thousand feet to ten thousand feet to fifteen thousand feet looks the same to you so you don't you don't it doesn't feel like it's getting closer to you right so you don't have any idea that your depth perception is is thrown off and you don't have any idea that you're falling but my favorite thing about going to pacer games is before the game when we are in the restaurant area it is a tradition it's a pregame tradition for me that jimmy comes up good jimmy as we call him comes up and shakes my hand and we exchange pleasantries and catch up with one another that's my favorite Pacer tradition. He joins us now on the show. Jimmy, what's up? Hey, JK, Jimmy, how are you guys doing? Happy Friday. It is uh, Friday, man, and it's a celebratory Friday after last night's Pacer game. It is. First off, I just wanted to know, Jake, is there any way I could get some of that coffee that T.J. McConnell drinks? <laughs> I think uh, that would keep me awake all day, all night, and uh, and, uh, and maybe I could get 10 assists a game, but probably not. But uh, more more likely the energy that he brings, I, I just love it. I I think it's so um, energetic, and uh, the way that he revives the team with his energy, I love it. And uh, I know when you were on with Kevin, he talked about building a Ben Madrin statue, but. Um, and I know people will help me with this, but I want to be in, uh, in the lead to build a Tyrese Halliburton statue because um, I think it's not often, and this happened last night, not often that the Pacers lead off PTI and the NBA on TNT pregame show for a positive reason. So I think it's really cool what's going on right now. and. Hopefully you guys agree. Jimmy, I'll tell you what, man, um, and I appreciate it. We'll see you at the games coming up here once they're back in town. I know that Kevin has said that the Benedict Matherin statue that he was willing now to just like, I think, how did he word it? He said like, they're just going to change the number on it and make it a little bit thinner and a little bit longer and make it a Tyrese Halliburton one, right? I will tip the cap to KB for that type of budget-saving acumen. Very kind of him. It actually might be more expensive because the that the Halliburton one, I don't know which one would, would Matherin's a little thicker. Yeah. But with Halliburton, I mean you gotta do you have to put the tights underneath the the shorts and so there's a little bit more that goes into it with that, and then you gotta change the number and the smile itself, right? He's gotta be smiling, right? Yes. I agree. 
I thought with the Manning statue, and I love the guy that did the Manning statue, and I'm not saying he didn't do a good job with it, but I thought a Peyton Manning statue should have had him crouched down at the line with his arms out, audibling, yes, like telling the crowd to quiet while he was audibling. Like that's his, to me, that is the Peyton Manning signature, is the theatrics at the line, right? You know, initially I heard in the planning process they wanted it to be full animatronic, but the it wasn't there for the budget with the <laughs> flapping right. of the arms, and, right. and it was ahead of its time, that idea. That's so, right. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, I mean, but it does feel like, you know, the Omaha, Omaha, and just, you know, him going up and down the line and pointing to his eyes and doing all the theatrics, that, that was kind of the calling card of what made him who he was. But nonetheless, it, it is pretty cool. I have, My thought has always been, by the way, uh, I have not shared it, I don't think, on this particular program, but... Because Georgia Street was originally designed as it is based around sports because it was cleared out and that was all put in there with the heaters and everything else for the Super Bowl weekend. And for that reason, I have always thought that that should be the the canyon of heroes, if you will, where they start on the banker's life side and or Gamebridge, excuse me, Gamebridge Fieldhouse side. And you have a statue there of I know they have the wooden one, but you do like a Reggie statue and a slick statue Um and then I think Major Taylor and Oscar Charleston. So you have it be people that are either from Indianapolis or played here. Oscar Robert, uh, Oscar Robertson, Oscar Charleston, and Major Taylor, all three of them. Then you wrap it around going towards the Lucas Oil Stadium side, and that's when you get, you know, obviously ending at the Manning statue, and you transition it into football people as well. Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball, next. How are you on a Friday? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison manning the ship for us. It's Query and Company on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. If you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, in the first hour of the program, I was celebrating because I randomly picked a school last night to predict a win, and it was a guy that our next guest, or a school I should say that our next guest is familiar with, Long Beach State, baby. Eight-point win last night, right, Jimmy? Indeed, it was an eight-point win over those Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii. They were once coached was Long Beach State by Seth Greenberg, who joins us now, ESPN college basketball analyst. Seth, I want to thank you for your time today, and I will actually get right to the local meat of the matter. Um, coming off of the game against Purdue, I, I thought Indiana in that game, again, was kind of exposed over just lack of outside shooting. And I guess my question for you is, can Mike Woodson get things going in the right direction to get Indiana some decent quad one wins without outside shooting? Do they have enough with Khalil Ware and Malik Renew and Mbako in the mid-range game to be able to get success without being able to shoot from the outside? Well, let me see Marjorie. That's for sure. It's tricks to Marjorie. I mean, you, you know, in the end, you got to make shots, but you also got to get stops, and you got to take care of the basketball. And I think the bigger issue is, you know, their point guard play has been inconsistent. I, mean, I think Galloway is, is the answer, not Xavier Johnson. I can tell you that much. Yeah. But uh, you know, you think of Indiana, you think of a guy who's going to make shots. Uh, you know, those big guys, I mean, early in the season, they were using Clawware as 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 a perimeter, you know, stretch five, but. You know, let's face it, you only win so many games when your five man is spending more time behind the three point line than he is establishing low post position or short rolling and being a playmaker or getting to the offensive glass. So yeah, you can, but you're gonna have to do a lot of things better. You're gonna have to be better defensively, you're gonna have to be tougher for a long period of time, you're gonna have to take care of the basketball, you're gonna have to uh run better offense uh to, you know, 
to get good shots. Just you know, if you can't shoot threes, you still can score. Play ahead of the defense. Get a stop. Play ahead of the defense. Uh, you know, get the ball, move the ball, move people, get post-ups or get isolations, which you can do with Renault, you can do with Mbako a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, play all your your your, your shot making comes from, you know, inside out penetration, second penetration, kick, where you're probably gonna make at least step in threes or good threes. Most teams that shoot poorly from the three point line, it's because they're not taking good three point shots. I mean, it, you know, it sounds silly, but that's 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 the truth in the thing. I mean, take good shots, and most times guys are going to make open step in threes. If you're not getting good shots, you know what? It's hard. It's hard to uh, be a good shooter. Hey, I want to go back to a comment that you made there, Coach, in talking about Xavier Johnson. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. At, at this point, this guy I don't know why is. You're is everything else you said a lie? Because now that you can be honest with me, I appreciate it. <laughs> that's right. Um, I, I'm, I, I just at this point with his age, and the lack of maturity that he shows, I, I just I'm over it. I, you know what I mean? Like I just I don't know. I, I know he's probably been hurt, but he has struggled to shoot the basketball. I don't know what he brings to them at this point, and I'm in agreement with you. I, you gotta you gotta hand it away from him. I, can he is he a detriment to Indiana? I don't know. I'm not. You know, you can't say he's a detriment. I, I'm not in practice every day. I'm not on campus. Obviously, he's had some incidents on and off campus that haven't been ideal. Allegedly, uh, you know. More importantly, when you have a guy like that, you need someone that he should be coaching in your locker room. And if that guy becomes a distraction coach in your locker room, then absolutely, when you have these talented young players, who's setting the example? Like, here's the deal. I mean, like a player-led team, as Tom Izzo always says, is better than a coach-led team. Well, who's the leader of that locker room in Indiana? Who's got, going to be the guy to say this is unacceptable? We got run at home in Assembly Hall against Purdue. Now, Purdue is a really good team with the immovable object and a team that has trust, that can make shots, that guys embrace roles, that, you know, guys, you know, who were starting a year ago, like, you know, like Caleb First, who now are embracing roles. So that's the definition of a team. Um, your locker room, I, I, I would say the bigger issue is, like, who is coaching the locker room? Uh, and I don't put that on, uh, you know, Woody. I put that basically on maybe the makeup or, you know, the makeup of their team. But uh, I would think their locker room after the other night is a little bit fragile, and I think their guard play has been – hasn't been up to, you know, to been good enough, I mean, quite honestly. ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg is our guest Seth, when you look nationally at the best guards in the country, a year ago, Purdue was not in that conversation. In fact, it was one of the formulas of ways to beat them. You focused on Edie. Their guards are not going to be able to respond. They're not going to bail them out with long-range threes. That's their weakness. That's clearly become a strength for them, and they've ironed that out, at least to this point in the season. When you look nationally at other programs in that same echelon, does Purdue's guard play now belong there, or do you still need to see more from them? Well, I think it belongs. Look, the freshmen become sophomores, and they get better, and they work on their game, and they look, they, they're human. They listen to all the stuff that's been said. You know, they understand St. Peter's. They understand Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, people get, you know, they, you get up and underneath those Purdue guards. You know, you can take them out. And, and they, you know, look, Northwestern beat them. Guard play was really good against them. But those guys are good. I think Lance Jones was huge. A guy that can guard on the perimeter, uh, a guy with some physicality to him, who can also make a shot, had a big game the other night. You know, Braden Smith's playing as well as any point guard in the country. Like, he's Aaron Kraft with a jumper. 
I mean, he's got a toughness about him. He rebounds his position. I mean, it's five a game, five assists, 40 from the three. Very good in ball screens. You know, lawyers are specialists. At times, can be a liability defensively. But, yeah, I think their their guard play is is good. I mean, every, there's no – there isn't a team out there that anyone is just – you You go, oh, my goodness. I mean, Kentucky's guards are probably the deepest when you can bring Dillingham and Shepard off the bench. Obviously, that's a luxury. Uh, that's, you know, a positive for sure. Uh, you know, you look at uh, North Carolina and the way R.J. Davis is playing. You know, Cadeau's been solid, you know, backing him up. Uh, they bring Trimble off the bench. I mean, that's impressive. The guards at Alabama are explosive with Sears and Estrada and, and Wyland Griffin. Uh, you know, they're good. I mean, there there are other good backcourts, but I would put Purdue's backcourt uh, up against anyone. I like Purdue because I like the versatility of their frontcourt. They can they go small with Gillis or they can play first. They can play Kaufman-Ren or, you know, they can do a lot of different things. Uh so, I mean, that's what makes them so good. Yeah, I was just going to – to touch on that, was going to ask about what you like about Purdue's – like, are they – is Purdue more offensively versatile this year than last? That's not to say they weren't last year, Coach, but I felt like, you know, the Fairleigh Dickinson game, for example, you mentioned. I mean, Edie is so good, but then then they struggled elsewhere, and it seems to me like Matt Painter has come up with different ways now – there aren't many games where Zach Eadie's not going to be effective, right? I mean, let's just be honest. But but it feels like they are more equipped now to deviate if they need to offensively away from that if situation calls for it than they were a year ago. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Yeah, well, I think, I think Braden makes more plays now. Even in late games, you put him in a two-man game. You know, if you think about Purdue, a lot of their stuff is going to be dribble, hand up, roll Edie down to the post. They get post up, him posted up in the middle of the lane, and it's over. He's missed a triple-double, points, rebounds, and free throws attempted. I mean, he's going to get fouled or score, or he's going to rebound his miss. Uh, you know, now, you know, Braden's coming off that screen. You know, if, if you – deviate and you get caught up on that screen and they stay attached to Edie, he's shooting a he's shooting flutter, he's shooting a pull up. If you go underneath there and get caught on that higher screen, you know, he gets an inch, he's gonna knock that thing down. Uh so I mean yeah, I think they have more, you know, more weapons uh to complement Zach for sure. Seth Greenberg is our guest. Seth, when you look at the Big Ten as a whole, I don't mean from like a how many bids they're going to send standpoint, but just from a nightly basis compared to the last couple of years, are there still quality wins to obtain without cannibalizing the rest of the conference? In other words, having a team that's trying to fight to get into the tournament versus having a team that's to advance their overall tournament resume. I think most teams cannibalize. Most leagues cannibalize each other. I mean, that's if you get good teams. When you know, I always I, I talk about leagues like uh, I talk about post defense. If you do your work early, then it's good for everyone. So you know, teams that did the work early, it's good. Now I, you can't have the bad losses. And like look at what Rutgers is doing now. Rutgers is winning games. Penn State's winning games. Minnesota is still struggling. So you can't. You can't. You know, ideally, you can't. Surely, you can't lose to those teams at home. I mean, that's just. You know that that will absolutely kill you, but uh, but I think that the, you know the league is better than people think. I mean, uh, it's so easy to trash the Big Ten. In fact, I'm doing something in the Big Twelve this week, and it's, it's it's in college game day, and you know people say, "Oh, look, the Big Ten gets ten teams in the NCAA tournament. They don't get teams." Well, you know, there's one or two teams that are you know one, two, or three seeds, and all the rest of those guys are like seven, eight, nine, and ten, or last four in. 
you're going to lose a bunch of games because, you know, those are toss-up games. So, But, I, you know, I, I look at the league. Look, you have enough opportunities to get quad one and quad two wins. You know, you got Wisconsin, you got Purdue, you got Illinois, you got Northwestern on the road. You know, you, I would think, in, I'm not sure what Indiana's net is. Indiana on the road is an opportunity. There's so many opportunities to get quad one wins uh, that, uh, you know, if you can string a, together a bunch of wins, you got a shot. And, you know, it's real simple. Win the right games. Don't lose the wrong games. College basketball analyst for ESPN, Seth Greenberg, is our guest. In that, when you're talking about, like, you know, the Minnesotas, the Penn State's got teams that are starting to, Minnesota's starting to try to get where Penn State is in terms of getting footing. Is there a team, nationally speaking, Seth, that you look at and you say, you know, their record right now is misleading because they took lumps early by testing themselves and now it's paying dividends because they're starting to come together and they're a different team than they were in November or December, and don't let the record fool you, they are now suddenly on the right trajectory. Any any team that jumps out at you with that? You know, it, it's so crazy, the college basketball this year, in terms of jumping out, I think that I think it, it's been interesting, obviously, in league play and all these leagues that, you know, people are winning on the road. I mean, you could say – you could say UCF, look at their last week, but I don't think, see that was an NCAA tournament. I'd say the biggest one is Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest, uh, now that they got F. Dunn Reed back, and so they, he's back, and then they got, you know, they got Boopy Miller, who transferred from Central Michigan, who's really dynamic, and they got Hunter Silas, who's playing well. But when they got F. Dunn Reed back, what it did was they started fives as good as anyone. And they got a rim protector, and they got a lob threat, and they got a guy who could rebound the ball on the offensive end. So, I mean, if you look at what they did early on, I mean, they lost to Georgia. Who's, by the way, I just spent time watching Georgia. They are really going to be good. They're, they would be a team that has some upside. Uh, they lost to Utah. They lost to LSU. Then they ripped off like eight or nine in a row. Now, they've lost two of the last three, but, you know, both of those have been on the road. But I, I think that Wake Forest has a chance to do something pretty special if they can win the right games. I really like what – I went over a couple of weeks ago and watched Indiana State play Evansville. I really like what Indiana State's done. Uh, and, you know, here they are with Drake at 6-1 and one in the Moval. I think the Moval is such a well-coached league. But the question is, for you, Seth Greenberg, is the Moval going to be a two-bid league? Can they get yeah, – I, I think it will. Okay, so think, you think ISU's I think, I think, got a shot then? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think I think it will. Um I'll tell you, what, Indiana State's good. Offensively, man, are they good? I mean, you talk about real good stuff. Uh, they shoot it, they pass it. I mean, they got a couple of guys. Uh, what is it, Avila? Who looks like he should be playing in the beer league? But, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, he does, man. But 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 you know what? The guy's good. He's got good footwork, good hands. Um, he reminds me a little bit of uh, of the big Kohler, the big kid at. at uh, at Michigan State with his footwork in his hands. You know, it doesn't look good, plays good. But when you shoot 41 from the three and you shoot 60 from the two and, you know, you sit, you, know, you, you make the right play, uh, they're a really good team. Love Swoop. Swoop's a really, really nice guard. Uh, and, and just the stuff that they run. I mean, they're, it's really, they're really impressive. Now, they're a younger team overall. I think the hardest thing about the United States is can they keep their guys? Totally, I mean, yep. And their coach, I mean, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, like he, they're really good. You know, obviously Drake is is very very good. Uh, you know, the job that that's being done at Bradley, I, I I think that that 
My guy is just a – I think he's a terrific, terrific coach, Brian Wardle. I think he's a terrific coach. And you see that – they got it going a little bit. They had that one stretch where they struggled. But they yeah, got they've won seven back. straight, Bradley. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, Brian's a really good coach. And, you know, you think about the players they lost. I mean, that that's the hardest thing. I mean, you know, you, that's the hardest thing with the Valley. I mean, look what Damascus is doing at, at Illinois. And look what you know, Lance Jones is doing at, at, at Purdue. I mean, it's – you know, it's it's a really. Uh, I feel bad for those guys because they do a great job of, of of the most important part of recruiting is is evaluating. They do a great job of evaluating, then they do a great job of player development, and then people just jump up and you know take their players. I mean, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not nil. Let's stop calling it nil. It's it's pay for play, and and that's what people are doing. They're just going buying, you know, basically buying guys off someone else's team. And, you know, for, for those guys, I feel bad for those guys. I mean, like, think about – take Nebraska – take Mast off Nebraska. What happens? You know? I mean, you know, put him on – put him on back on Bradley. How good is Bradley? And and that's – to that point, I, I just it, – it is interesting. I, I don't know where you stop it. Like, Stop it's probably the wrong word, Coach, but, like, it is concerning. I was just t- having this conversation with somebody yesterday, and I, I'll just throw Ohio out there. I just said, you know, if you're the coach at Ohio University, then, yeah, I mean, you get a guy that you get excited because you get a kid that really is playing well as a freshman or sophomore, and you spend half your time now you're, gotta, you're having to re-recruit him, right? I mean, it, it just feels like at some you point. Get, the big boys want him. Right. The big boys going to get him. I mean, and what do you do? You know what I mean? I and, and I guess my question for you from a coaching standpoint would be, is that going to make it difficult for these schools to find coaches because guys are going to go, look, I just I don't want to deal with it anymore? You never have a hard time finding coaches to become a head coach. <laughs> I mean, that's not a problem. You treat it like a junior college. Mid-major basketball started in a junior college. If you get a guy for two years, you, you evaluate him, you develop him, you get him for two years, and then you know what you do? You try to fill fill his spot with a guy that's uh, a low major. And a low major goes into the D2, and it's just a triple effect. Seth Greenberg is our guest. Seth, there might be, there might not be a right way to do it nowadays when you look at the landscape of college athletics, but with the rules or lack thereof that are in place, when you look at the transfer portal, and let's look at the bigger schools, for example, when they tap into that, how should the portal as it's currently constructed be used? Should it be used to completely overhaul a roster, or should it be used to accent and complement recruiting classes? Depends on your team. I mean, you know, the Wake Forest starts four transfers, all right? Uh, Florida starts four transfers. It depends on the stage you are. It's, it's an ability to rebuild your, you know, when you take over a job, it's ability to reboot quickly. Look what, you know, obviously Chris Beard has done at Ole Miss. Uh, on the other hand, what I call I call it the new one and done is like the Cam Spencers of the world, the Hunter Dixons of the world, you know, uh, the ring masters of the world, where you just boom, you plug and play a guy, and and, and you know Harrison Ingram of the world. Uh, so it, it all depends on what you're doing. Ideally, I think that you need to have some culture creators in your in your program, especially high majors. I just think that like if you if you look at like. Danny Hurley, he, you know, he's, he brought a Cam Spencer, but he had Tristan Newton back. He had Alex Carabin back. He had Hassan Diara back. You know, he had 
Donovan Klingon back, but you you know, you needed Cam Spencer, you needed you needed a shot maker. You know, so I just think it's it's really hard. And I think I think it's hard in, in speaking to people like you're recruiting and you got your team, you think you're getting guys coming back. You take too many guys for the transfer portal, you know what's gonna happen? A bunch of your dudes that you thought were staying are leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a fine line. But my biggest thing is coach your team. Coach your team. At the end of the year, guys will stay cut. Guys, guys will go. But coach your team. I mean, like to me, they're like, well, I coach my guys hard. You know, he might leave. Well, if you can't coach him hard, then you he can't help you win anyway. That's why I love Danny Hurley. I love Bizzo. I love, uh, you know, Painter. And, I don't, and that doesn't mean berate your guys. That just means coach your guys. Like, you know, Danny Hurley, he, the, Connecticut's as good as they are. For a couple of reasons, he was a high school coach and didn't, didn't miss any steps. So when that, when Caravan goes, uh, when Klingon goes down, or Castle goes down, you know what? You coach a team that's in front of you, like a high school coach would have to do. All right, and then you coach your guys every day, coach them collectively, and you coach them individually every single day, and you hold them accountable to those things every day. And that's what good coaches do. Seth Greenberg is our guest, college basketball analyst for ESPN. Seth. When you look at year two for Thad Mata and Butler, there's been ups and downs, a really nice win on the road against Marquette a couple of weeks ago, followed by a couple losses in conference play. They sit at 2-5, and five, but 11-7 and seven overall. Where do you map out Butler if they are to finally break this drought and get back to the tournament? Yeah, I think they're a year away, to be honest with you. Uh, I love what Thad's doing. Uh, you know, that league will give you opportunities. There's no doubt about it. It'll give you opportunities for quad one wins, which is which is huge, uh, and I like their team. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, li- I like the makeup of their team. They're, uh, you know, they got to fi- excuse me, finish some games out, and they, you know, got to learn how. Like Seton Hall's hard to play against. Connecticut's better than them. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, so they still got to add talent, and you know, they were in those games. But they can't, they can't close them. But they got guys, you know, from. From transfer portal, they're uh, are more or less winning players, uh, tough kids, uh, more guys that I think that uh, you know Coach Matter can can relate to, and you can't let the cumulative effect of a conference beat you down. Like you know, you got to you know you got a chance now. You got the Paul George not coming up. All right, knock those two out, get a little momentum coming into Villanova at home. That's what you got to do. But you're going to have a you know just like any league, you're going to have a stretch where you got Villanova, Creighton, and Connecticut. You know, in the Big 12, you got that every single night. Uh, in the Big East, you have it most nights. In the SEC, you almost have it every single night. So, I mean, you got to put your big boy pants on and try to steal some wins. Lastly, Coach Seth Greenberg is our guest. Indiana tonight in Wisconsin, trying to break a long drought in Madison. Uh, where is Wisconsin vulnerable? I love this this Wisconsin team. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, this is a Wisconsin team that I, I think A.J. Storr has been – a huge addition because he gives him a size at the wing, an athlete at the wing, as as is Blackwell, uh, that you know really, really, you know can can you know impact winning and, and takes and takes pressure off. Look, Wisconsin doesn't turn over; they don't give you second shots. They keep you in front and they force you to score over them. So I'll tell you what, Indiana, but you better run good offense, and then you better be disciplined defensively. Uh, because if you're not disciplined defensively, you're you're going to give up shots. Uh, and you're going give, to give up the shots they want. Now, Wisconsin hasn't defended three great this year overall in their losses. You know, can you make threes? Uh, that's, a, that's an Achilles heel. 
for Indiana. So you know, that's, a, that's a little bit of a concern. Can you speed them up? I don't think you can speed them up. I don't think Indiana's built to really speed them up. And then it's their maturity. I mean, look at this Indiana, I mean, this Wisconsin team. I mean, you know, this is a mature team. You know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Crow, whether it's Wall, whether it's Hepburn, those guys, you know, you know, I think it's Kleinschmidt kid. I mean, those guys are tough, mature players. I think it's a bad matchup for for Indiana, especially how they are right now. The biggest thing for Indiana also is, can you make the tough plays consistently? Seems like to me, when they get pushed back a little bit, they don't fight through that and do the hard things consistently. And you, you're not beating Wisconsin if you don't do the hard things consistently. Things like when you're down 15 to Purdue and Zach Eady's diving, giving up the skin on his knees to go after a loose ball and Khalil Ware's standing and watching. You can, that, that's not going to work against Wisconsin. That's a Wisconsin. pretty good example. Of it. That was uh, <laughs> that, 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 you know what that, that was? That was a, a culture shock for anyone uh, in terms of comparing toughness, physicality, sense of urgency, having both feet in. Zach Eady, fourth-year fourth guy, goes to the ground to get a loose ball. Yep, and because he's got two, both feet in, and then you you know you 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 hurt these quote unquote one and done guys. Do they have both feet in, or are they six month rental? That's a great point. See, man. That, that's the problem. It's the static around some of those guys is the workout guy, the AU coach, the parents who are trying to monetize their kids, uh, and are they concerned about winning the, the the noise around these guys, or are they concerned about you know can my guy get drafted in the first round? Yeah. Uh, you see, it's it's absolutely visible, no question about it. Um, Coach, appreciate the time, and certainly enjoy the games this weekend. And we will enjoy watching your commentary on ESPN. All right, you got. It. Thanks for having right. me. Thank you. Really Thanks, good Coach. stuff, Seth Greenberg. Really good about. And, and listen, I think that's true of Khalil Ware. I mean, I, you know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday just about like everything that went in with the pay for play from coming from Oregon and everything else. Um, you could see it in, in, in that moment. Uh, Jimmy, do you have your tray in the upright position? Do you have your seat upright? I do indeed. I'm ready to you know what we're re- ready to do? How about that? We're going on the two-minute drill, and we're doing it next. So here's the question. Jimmy, you taking the window or the aisle? How long is the flight? Well, we're going all around the country here. We got basically – I've lined up for every city in – the divisional round playoffs, except for everybody in San Francisco is eating clam chata. Even though I said that like Boston, they do that in San Francisco, but they do it in a sourdough bowl. I'll take that aisle seat. You taking the aisle seat? Yep. So, uh, Eddie, sorry, you're in the middle, man, right? All, right? All right, I'll take the window and I'll look out because it is time to go airborne and fly around the country on the two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. Starting us off, Landry Locker, Houston, Sports Radio 610, Texans and Ravens this weekend. Landry, let's begin with this. C.J. Stroud's been sensational. Have you seen anything in the postseason here that shows you any nerves at all from this rookie, or is he still cool as a cucumber? Yeah, I, I've seen no signs of him, the moment being too big for him. It goes back to, obviously, the Ohio State-Georgia game. Uh, but he had a historic rookie season. Uh, in the last two winner-go-home games, 
Uh, five touchdowns, no interceptions. His rating goes from 100.8 to 145.5. So if they lose this game, it's not going to be because the moment's too big for the quarterback. Do they open anything up for him that we have not already seen, or is it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and they keep status quo offensively? I'm sure they would like to, but the, the problem with the Texans right now is, you know, there's not a lot of explosive players on offense. You know, maybe we see Dalton Schultz a little more involved than he was week one against the Ravens. Uh, but right now, as far as, like, playmakers on this team, it's really Nico Collins and it's just a bunch of guys. So they might like to, but I don't know that they have the personnel to be able to do that. Rematch of week one, the year began with Houston and Baltimore. Ravens won that game. Does anything from what seems to be a year ago translate to this weekend? Well, I, I think uh, Lamar Jackson's uh, playoff history, uh, Lamar Jackson's playoff history, it, 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 we got a four-game sample size of that. You know, you talk about C.J., uh, seeming to have a sense of the moment. Lamar Jackson's 1-3 and three in the playoffs. Uh, he's one of the best regular season quarterbacks in recent history, but in the playoffs, he's bad. Uh, his rating goes from 98 to 68.3. To put that in perspective, a 68.3 rating this year wouldn't be top 50 in the NFL. It would be below Bailey Zappi uh, and right ahead of Jeff Driscoll. So the playoff history of Lamar, that's, that's really going to be the main storyline. That's going to be the main talking point. Uh, and if the Texans want to hang their hat on anything potentially, it's, you know, maybe Lamar Jackson just isn't the same quarterback in the playoffs. Last time they were in this situation, uh, a double-digit near-under uh, favorite with an MVP Lamar Jackson was 2019 against the Tennessee Titans, and they ended up losing by 16 points. Landry Locker, Houston Sports Radio 610. Appreciate the time. All right, appreciate you. Luke Jones of WNST in Baltimore talking about the Ravens. Luke, Ravens, this is always a topic of conversation in Indy, and that is when you are coming off of a week off in the postseason, do you need to keep playing? What about for the Ravens? Did they need to get back on the field, or did they need that week away? I think time's going to tell. I mean, four years ago, they clinched in week 16. They sat out week 17, their key starters, including Lamar Jackson, and they had the bye week. And then they lost to the Tennessee Titans, even though they were a 10-point favorite. So the proof is going to be in the pudding. They did have some players that needed uh, to rest up. They're hoping to get Mark Andrews back. Uh, they're three-time Pro Bowl tight end. But we'll see. I think a fast start is the key to really seeing if that rust factor is going to be real for them. Not to take too much away from Baltimore, but it's a down year for Kansas City offensively. Joe Burrow's on the sidelines, and there's always been questions about Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, especially in the postseason in his era. Does this feel like an if-not-now-when stretch for Baltimore? I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth. I mean, if Lamar Jackson's healthy, their window's not closing. I mean, this is a guy who's proven over the course of his career that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the regular season. Now, January, to your point, has been a different story. It's not going to set up any better on paper for them in the foreseeable future. So it won't be their last chance, but you certainly have to think it's their best chance, at least for the next few years, no question. Luke, you've been around the Ravens' practices this week. They're going against a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud. How much have they emphasized to their roster, look, he might be a rookie, but he's pretty darn poised. Don't overlook it. I think they better have their attention because C.J. Stroud's done phenomenal things. And keep in mind, John Harbaugh, as a first-year head coach like Demeco Ryans, won a playoff game, advanced all the way to the AFC Championship with Joe Flacco. So uh, this Ravens team knows that it's a different uh, C.J. Stroud and Texans team than they saw in Week 1. So they better be ready because Houston certainly showed what they could do against Cleveland last week. Luke Jones, WNST Baltimore. Have a crab cake for us, all right? Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the games. 
Green Bay, Chris Roth, WBAY up in Wisconsin. All right, Chris, Jordan Love playing at a very high level. What has been the difference that has allowed this comfort level for this guy to come out now and suddenly become a premier quarterback in the league? Well, there's a multitude of factors there, Jake. Uh, obviously, he's surrounded by the youngest uh, group of uh, skill position players in the league. I mean, all these rookies, right? So not only is there a learning curve for a first-year starting quarterback, but all these guys got to learn the league. You can see flashes in training camp, but they weren't on the same page early. And as those guys have grown more comfortable, I mean, it's really worked in, in lockstep he's become more comfortable and it's really exploded and by extension the coaching staff has become more comfortable with with the playbook and calling plays because now they know guys will more times than not be in the right spots where where that wasn't always the case early on in the season when they were two and five uh it has it has all grown at the same pace for all of them matt lafleur talked earlier in the season you know we we got to Maybe we're asking these guys to do too much. we got to scale it back until we know they understand. Well, the, they've all started to understand at the same time, and that has made things better for Jordan, but that doesn't undersell what he's been able to do on his own. I mean, it, this stretch he's on is is really absurd, and I've been around here for a long time. I, I was here when Favre was here. I was here when Rodgers was at his peak. This playoff, this eight-game, nine-game stretch he's on now, 21 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that, that's as good a quarterbacking run as I've ever seen. When people look at the Packers defensively, the commentary is they're young, they're talented, but they're very raw. They don't have that chiseled nature of teams that have been in the playoffs before. Against an offense like San Francisco, does that matter, or is that most likely what would be their undoing if they falter this weekend? Well, I think everybody pretty much agrees if they falter, it's probably going to be because of that. Uh, I would just push back a little bit on the young part. Uh, most of the veterans on this team are on the defensive side of the ball. The one thing you always hear if you turn on a broadcast is, oh, they've got eight number one picks on the defensive side of the ball, blah, blah, blah. People get number one picks wrong all the time, right? So it, just because you have eight number one picks doesn't mean they should be playing as the best unit in the league. Maybe they're just not all that good. Now, having said that, the last four games, the last three games, excuse me, uh, they got torched by Carolina. They just had to win that game. It was kind of ridiculous. I mean, Bryce Young's terrible all year, and they made him look like an all-world quarterback. Uh, they have taken more chances. They've been more aggressive. Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, everybody thought he was going to get canned after the Giants, Buccaneers, and Carolina games. Those are three terrible games by that defense, uh, allowing you know pedestrian quarterbacks at best to look like world beaters. He has changed. They've become more aggressive, and it's worked hand-in-hand hand with the offense playing better, getting leads, being able to be more aggressive on defense. That's helped. Having said all that, even though they're playing better, they have not faced a group uh, like San Francisco, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. But that edge certainly favors San Francisco. But if the offense can help the defense out, like it has the last three games, then they got a better shot of hanging in there. Packers will be in San Francisco. Chris Roth, Sports Director, WBAY in Green Bay. Appreciate it, Chris. All right, guys. Thank you. Scott Reynolds, Pewter Report, down in Tampa, Florida, talking about the Bucks. All right, Scott, here's the question that I have for you. In week six, the Bucks and Lions played. Lions got the better of that one, 20-6. Do we learn anything from that game that can apply here to the postseason? 
Yeah, the Buccaneers have really turned into an entirely different team. It's a younger Buccaneer team than it was under Tom Brady and and uh, the older version of, of the team in the 2022 season. This year's Bucks, it, it just took a while for them to grow up. Todd Bowles has had to play a lot of young players and rookies, and they've matured. You've seen that now winning six of their last seven games, including that playoff win over the Eagles. I think the Buccaneers' ground game and their ability to run the football has been the big difference on offense. Is getting Baker Mayfield more balanced and, and really opening up that play-action passing game. And defensively, we've just seen players like Yaya Diaby and Kalaja Kanti from this year's draft class, along with Zion McCollum in the secondary, really get some uh, experience and seasoning the bit that they need. And this is going to be a much better and different Buccaneer team than the one that the Lions faced in Week 6. You bring up Baker there. He was basically left for dead and tightroping that bust label in Carolina. What's the biggest change that's happened for him in Tampa Bay? I think this Dave Canales offense fits him like a glove. It's the same system that Canales brought uh, down from Seattle that's allowed Geno Smith to resuscitate his career after being a, a journeyman backup for most of his time in the league. And it's, it's worked wonders for Baker Mayfield. He's a great system fit. And it doesn't hurt having Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to throw to, the best one-two punch at receiver that he's ever had to work with. So I think that combined with, again, Rashad White and, and this ground game that's that's been improving all year long, it's really allowed Baker Mayfield to not have to shoulder the entire load and become that face of the franchise. He can really be more of the point guard and distribute the ball than having to be that shooting guard that has to go out and score 30 Uh, on a given night to win. And and I think he's relished that role. The interceptions have gone down. The touchdowns have gone up. And uh, he is that infectious leader that brings some grit and toughness from the quarterback position for Tampa Bay. Does Tampa Bay come up with any new wrinkle unforeseen previously to try to disrupt Jared Goff? Well, you know what? Uh, That's really been uh, the big puzzle that Todd Bowles has yet to solve. Goff has really gone off in three games against Todd Bowles' defense, two with the Rams. Uh, the Buccaneers won the first one back in 2019, but then more important one is the recent one with the Lions. Uh, Goff was unstoppable. Two touchdowns, no interceptions in over 300 yards. He, he's tough because if you blitz him, he can process things so quickly, get rid of the ball so quickly, that the blitz just might not get there. And then you're leaving your, your coverage to, to being susceptible. The Lions have so many weapons. I don't know what Todd Bowles is going to do about that, but I do know that he might do something unconventional. He whipped out a six-man defensive line that featured four defensive tackles last week to help shut down the Eagles' ground game. So he's going to have to reach for something uh, in his uh, box of tools that maybe we haven't seen yet because he hasn't had success stopping Jared Goff yet as a defensive coordinator. Scott Reynolds, Pewter Report in Tampa. We appreciate the time. Anytime. Thank you. All right, Detroit, Tim Twentyman is the senior writer for DetroitLions.com. Tim, so much excitement about the Lions winning that playoff game and getting that monkey off their back. Any chance that that leads to a letdown now as Tampa Bay comes in? Boy, I'd be really surprised by that. What's better than one playoff game at home? Well, two playoff games at home. And so that's what Detroit has. And who knows what happens with Green Bay on Saturday. It could be three playoff games at home if they can uh, go to San Francisco and upset the 49ers. So, look, Ford Field's going to be crazy. It was the loudest decibel, uh, the fourth loudest decibel in NFL history in there. It's going to be even louder this week, and I'd be really surprised if there's a letdown with Detroit. They they, they have everything, uh, all their goals in their grasp. 
Tim, I'm taking slight nostalgia angle. Did you ever think, thinking back to the 0-16 season, all the struggles in between, that a secondary market nosebleed ticket at Ford Field would be going for $635 on the secondary market? Did you ever imagine that that would happen? For the Lions. I would be I'd be lying if I said yes, but I will tell you just with how faithful the Lions fans have been through all of that that you described and, and really much more, that if this team ever got good, look, this is a football town. It's lunch pail, working class, right? And, and they love football here. And if this team ever got good, I knew it could get really fun. And now, finally, it's been a while, but we're seeing the fruits of that labor. Different Bucks team than the one Detroit beat midway through the season. Do they come up with new looks, or do they stick with what worked? Well, you know, I, I, I think Todd Bowles got to stick with what got you here, right? You know, he's an aggressive guy. They blitz about 40% of the time, which is third most in the NFL. And like they're playing a Detroit Lions team that's arguably one of the top three offensive lines uh, in the game. They handled that blitz pretty well the first time around. Now, look, he's going to throw, you know, a couple new wrinkles at Detroit. Uh, hasn't seen, but at home in a controlled environment, uh, they'll be able to, uh, crowd goals won't be an issue, so they'll be able to to get the checks and everything else. There's going to be some wrinkles, but but I think you got to stay true to who you are. They're going to put six in the box, try to stop the run, come after Jared Goff, and if the Lions can block it up, they can, they can make some big plays. Tim Twentyman, DetroitLions.com. Enjoy the game. All right, guys. Josh Briscoe, The Zone 810 in Kansas City. First question right out of the box. Buffalo, this is somebody they're familiar with. What does KC do differently against Josh Allen that perhaps they haven't done before? That's a great question that we're all going to have to find out together because that's kind of Bags' game, right? The thing that he talked about in pressers this week and leading up to this matchup, that they have to be able to show him plenty of different things, and they have a lot of weird strengths at different depths across this defense. They're going to handle Stephon Diggs on the outside. That'll be a luxurious knee problem. That, that was a, a great example for this Chiefs defense last time through. They have a little more athleticism at linebacker than they've had previously. Drew Tranquil wasn't out there the first time through in the regular season this year, so it's going to be about personnel and then Spags trying to give Josh Allen a wrinkle he hasn't studied for. Josh, have you determined what yard marker Stephon Diggs is going to be standing post game? No, I'm just kidding. That's not my question. Uh, <laughs> I made that joke earlier this week. That's a good joke. No, I I, I stole it from you. For the oh. Chiefs, what is more important to success: having a third pass catching option besides Rice and Kelsey, or trimming down the self inflicted wounds? It's the latter. It's a great question, but it's absolutely the second part because if they add another weapon, that's great. They will eventually need somebody to make a play downfield. But the biggest thing is that they do not shoot themselves in the foot. If they run this offense through Patrick Mahomes, he is a three-headed weapon of, of uh, I almost said Canarius Tony. Obviously not him. The three-headed weapon of Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice, not even necessarily in that order. Those three guys with Mahomes with no self-inflicted wounds, that team wins the Super Bowl, honestly. Uh, I don't know if another weapon is going to show up at any point. First road playoff game for Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. Josh Briscoe's The Zone, 810 Kansas City. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Josh Reed of WIVB in Buffalo is the Joe Montana of our two-minute drill, a regular that we go to. Here's the bottom line, Josh. The Bills had a gauntlet to finish the season. They did it masterfully now into the postseason. Can they sustain this level of play for some six straight games? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're on their longest win streak of the season heading into the big one against the Chiefs coming up Sunday night, and I do believe they can. Um, you know, I think you know, one of the, the storylines everybody's kind of looking at is Patrick Mahomes is finally forced to come to Western New York and play a playoff game in Buffalo. The Bills have had to travel to Arrowhead twice. They came up empty twice in the postseason. It's a completely different story when the game's not in Arrowhead. It's now the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes 
who has to worry about the crowd noise. They have to worry about audibling and, and, and dealing with everything outside of just the game. They have to deal with the crowd now, and it's not Josh Allen and the Bills offense. They'll be able to go out and audible and do everything that they want to be able to do and make adjustments on the fly. As long as they have Josh Allen, it feels like the Bills' window will always be open. But if they falter this weekend, how different does this roster look a year from now? Way different. It's, just, it's going to look way different. The, the spot that they're in salary cap-wise, there's going to have to be some subtractions. Now, Brandon Bean has shown over and over again that he can land some sneaky studs in free agency. And in particular, late in free agency, keep in mind, Leonard Floyd, who is having a phenomenal season getting after the quarterback of the Bills, they added him a month before training camp started. I mean, it was just kind of a guy that I think just went under the radar for 31 other teams, and quite frankly, 32, because if the Bills thought he was that good, they would have jumped out and signed him immediately. But yeah, this this is going to be an interesting year. Gabe Davis is going to be the big name free agent for the Bills that's on the Bills roster right now. That's you know he's getting a new deal somewhere. I don't believe. I don't know this. I don't, I don't have inside information on this. I don't believe it's going to be in Buffalo. I just I think that I think the inconsistencies and the money he's going to want, and quite frankly, teams are always looking for a top tier, if you will. I think he's a two, maybe a three receiver, but somebody's going to play him, pay him like a top-end two target. Josh, finally, what's the weather forecast in western New York and Buffalo this weekend? Well, we've got a ton of snow already, so we don't need any more of that, and I don't think we're going to get much more of that. It's just going to be cold, which it's not really a home field advantage for either team, right? We all know that it gets plenty cold in Kansas City. If you, All you needed to do was watch last weekend's game, right? So both these teams are used to playing in this element. The temperature's not going to be an issue. It gets windy here. It gets windy in Kansas City, not as windy. If both of these quarterbacks got plenty of arm strength to zip it through the wind, so weather's not going to play a factor in this one. Josh Reed, WIVB in Buffalo. Appreciate it as always. Great. Thanks for having me. Have a good weekend. That's how we do it. The two-minute drill flying around and hitting every spot. Spare San Francisco in the NFL playoffs. In terms of the coverage of the NFL playoffs, the coverage of sports in general, the landscape for sports coverage as we have known it for a long time in this country uh, took a seismic change in the last couple of hours. One of the big daddies of the ball undergoing some pretty sad news. We'll tell you about it next. Earlier today, this email apparently went out to all employees of Sports Illustrated. Quote, on Thursday, January 18th, we were notified by the Authentic Brands Group, ABG, that the license under which the Arena Group operates the Sports Illustrated brand and SI-related properties has been officially revoked by ABG. As a result of this license revocation, we if I said that word correctly, uh, we will be laying off staff that work on the SI brand. All impacted employees will receive severance pay, et cetera, et cetera. Employees with a last working day of today will be contacted by the, peop- uh, by the people team soon. Other employees will be expected to work through the end of the notice period and will receive additional information shortly. We appreciate the work and efforts of everyone who has contributed to the SI brand 
and business, end quote. Uh, I, I don't know the specifics of all of that, but it would appear as though that Sports Illustrated, as we have known it, is no more. And that is, you know, if you are of my age range, certainly Sports Illustrated was an absolute, and I understand. I mean, it's been difficult in today's climate and culture probably for them to upkeep and but there was and i know there are tons of people hearing my voice right now that are nodding their head that can relate to this you know i remember just for example in 1987 when indiana won the national championship and i already had framed on my bedroom wall the one from isaiah thomas the one with just the number one indiana jersey from the 1980 preseason basketball issue the issue with Kent Benson on the cover, Scotty May on the cover in 76. I had them all, and I had a spot reserved for the 87 cover, waited by the mailbox, and then it was Corey Snyder, Joe Carter, and the Cleveland Indians, and it said Indian Uprising, and in the tiny corner it just said, Hail the Mighty Hoosiers. I'm still bitter about it. But my point being, aside from the swimsuit issue, which was iconic, Sports Illustrated and the collecting of Sports Illustrated and the awaiting to see who was going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated and faces in the crowd and the 19th hole and all of the photography and write-ups and Frank DeFord and the Bob Knight Rabbit Hunter feature, all of it. It was a major, major, major part of the sports landscape for the better part of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But t- Father Time, Jimmy, is undefeated. Yeah, right? and, and you haven't directly said this, Jake, but I do want to address it for those that often pigeonhole my generation into this group that like did not have paper things, did not have newspapers, didn't have magazines. It's not true. Like in grade school and high school, like we still had magazine sales and fundraisers like at, at, at my grade school and at my high school. Like we still consumed media still in that way. I remember looking forward to seeing which athlete was going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated every time it came in the mail. Like I don't I can't speak to Eddie because it was about four or five years separating the two of us. But for my generation, it was still a really big deal. And I tweeted out, again, I know nobody in this market cares about this, but like Sports Illustrated mattered so much to me. One of the first things I did when my childhood team, the Chiefs, finally won it all was I wanted to purchase, and I did purchase, the printout of that front cover issue of Mahomes on the cover celebrating Kansas City ending a 50-year drought. Like It still mattered a ton to my generation of sports fans. Sports Illustrated for kids is part of the reason I realized and found out broadcasting could be an actual career to pursue. They used to list all different kinds of summer camps, and there was a national broadcasting camp that was in there that I wouldn't have found out about without SI. So this is an incredibly sad day. We know so many different people that still work for Sports Illustrated currently that I don't know how they're directly impacted by it or when the timeline is on that, but it stinks. And I don't know how much of this is on SI, the brand, and how much of it is just bitter corporate greed, but either way... It's a sad day and an end of an incredible era that even of the younger generation as a 90s kid still matters a great deal to me. When I was growing up, my parents had the monthly edition of Sports Illustrated delivered to our house. And so I'd always look through them all the time and then they'd have the, you know, the player cards in there. I'd always take those out. And then I'd be like, oh, that's how I got familiar with names and sports as a kid. Did it it get down to the point where it was just monthly? Uh, Yes. Well, at least for me. Do they still do that? Not, I don't even know if they still do that. I don't know. They they still have 
issues that they they post the cover photo online still on SI now, but I don't know if that was still a physical branch or if they were just still doing a cover photo for the sake of doing it and it was just strictly online. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was such a the cover itself just to be on the cover was such a yeah. huge deal, right? Oh yeah. I mean, they still talk about it in Lebanon. Uh, Kevin Bowen joins us next. Interesting. Interesting comment here on X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, from, I believe it's Yahoo Sports. Do you see who, according to NBA insider Jake Fisher, who has one of the cooler first names in all of sports, of Yahoo Sports, what player was, quote, intrigued about leaving his current team, taking a player option, and joining the Indiana Pacers to play with Tyrese Halliburton? I didn't see it, so I'll say Paul George, but that I have no idea. correct. Paul George was intrigued about playing with Tyrese Halliburton, but it would appear as though they opted instead for Pascal Siakam. I have no idea if there was conversation with Paul George, but certainly that name is one. He does play a style that is perfect for what Indiana needs right now. Uh, joining us now on the program, you hear him in the morning, of course, with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. And Kevin, I'll allow you to clarify the comments yesterday that Eddie got in hot water. Eddie, you're, you're, you attributed to Kevin Bowen what exactly? I said he wasn't in favor of the Siakam trade. I thought you said he had to a which, No, is no, that wrong? Okay, no. my bad. Sorry. To which I was brought to my attention that he was just in preference of OG Ananobi. Okay, Kevin, uh, your thoughts on Pascal Siakam and the trade? Boy, this is uh, certainly taking a life of its own. I feel like I, uh, I got the Southern Indiana, like, I, I don't know any politically correct way to um, describe it. Uh, double team is in my... Uh, brain i know that doesn't sound great but boy yeah andy sweeney and jmv have been all over this um yeah i would say lukewarm is that fair um you know i i tweeted out i mean hell maybe i should just read the tweet uh when the trade went down what did i say here um you know i think with anything everybody wants you to be black and white i think they're just it's not necessarily that easy so okay what i like legit score creator at a major position of need i mean hell jake you and i have been talking about this position for quite some time uh and it also shows tyrese halliburton you're going to swing and i think that really really matters uh whether you like it or not in today's nba questions uh doesn't match others timeline defensive defensive questions remain limits you from anything else major in the next couple of years and the injury questions for really any player Post age thirty. How dare you? Uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Kevin. Yeah, I'm actually. You, you know what, Kevin? I'm with you, and, and I'll tell you why. I think he's a good player. Um, you know, defensively, I think he. They are counting on him to kind of upgrade defensively or or buy in defensively. They absolutely, I would assume, are assured that he is going to. If he doesn't resign here, then it's a total swing and a miss. But. Um, this is probably unpopular opinion, Kevin. I know he's a very good player, and I know he will be very good here. But part of me feels like if you're going to have two max contracts on the same roster, Siakam would be like in the lower end of guys that I would want as a max contract guy. Boy, I... I mean, I hate to say this publicly, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that, Jake. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's pretty well said. You know, Ananobi, again, is someone that, for me, I guess it's just easy to compare the two because they came from the same team and they were just recently traded. That's one that I would be, you know, much more than lukewarm on had you got him. I mean, hell, look at his first couple of weeks with the Knicks if you want to see a player impact on both ends of the floor. He's been 50-40-90, and, and they've been tremendous with him defensively. And then I just think given $250 million, assuming you are, um, to, you know, a guy in his 30s. I mean, there there is some risk with that. Um, so I think that's where, again, I'm just a little lukewarm. Again, Jake, you've certainly seen me have probably a, a bit of questionable uh, man crushes on past Pacers moves. Uh, this is just not one that I put into that category there. I still think Siakam can be a really important piece for you. Again, the things I like, he can really help. I think when things bog down offensively or Halliburton is – you know, other teams try to take him out of the game to the nth degree. I think that is helpful. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not, you know, naked around Monument Circle right now. KB, I don't disagree with anything you said except for one aspect, and I'm sure you've made this differentiation as well over the course of the week. But, yes, I too would have rather had OG and Anobi. The problem is you would have had to do something they weren't willing to do, which was gut the roster in a way like the Knicks did. You would have had to forego either a piece of the future that you think you can develop into something special, or you would have had to, I guess, add more draft capital there, even though it looked like at the time the Raptors wanted young pieces, not draft picks. And then I guess they ultimately were swayed by the package that the Pacers gave. But why I get separated between those two is you would have had to give up a Benedict Matherin or a Jairus Walker like the Knicks said goodbye to Emmanuel quickly and others. Would you have been comfortable doing that if that was what the, the path they could have gone down? Yeah, I'll start by, by saying I, I agree with part of that, and I disagree with part of that. The the agreement is yes, the the the, the trade would have looked differently as you laid out there. Um, you know, probably a little bit more player centric than just the three picks plus Bruce Brown. Where I would disagree is the gut the roster phrase. Um, I mean, look at the Knicks since the OG Ananobi trade, and I know it's a small sample size, but it's all we can go off of. Uh, they did not gut the roster whatsoever. They've been one of the better teams in the month of January, uh, and they still have their two you know, best players, right, in Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, to go around Ananobi. Um, I think Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett would, I, I don't know, qualify probably more in a, yeah, a Matherin-centric comparison. It's fair. Uh, no, I, I would not have been good with Matherin. Jairus Walker, I, I probably reluctantly could have been talked into it a little bit because, again, Ananobi for me – um, he immediately heavily answers the biggest need that we've talked about for the first, you know, whatever, three months of this season. It's been defense, defense, defense. And I think Halliburton is so blank and gifted offensively that he just raises guys on that end of the floor. And I'm not going to act like, you know, finding a Robin isn't important. It is. But I think Halliburton helps out those guys become even better offensively and he can't do that on the other end of the floor. I mean, frankly, he's at times a liability on that end of the floor. So that's where I kind of look at it and think, give me the elite-level defender, because I think that is harder to find. And, you know, you guys, you know, I, I'm sure I've talked with Tony East, and, you know, he, he shared this stat before about, you know, when you look at last year in the playoffs, I think it goes over I think it was seven of the eight teams in the opening round um, that advanced were top half in the league defensively. So, um, and, and I don't want to act like Siakam is like me out there on the defensive end of the floor, but, you know, if you talk or, you know, listen to people that watch the Raptors nightly, 
Um, you know, we had a guy on earlier this week that, you know, called him a passable defender. Uh, I've heard the phrase, you know, maybe he has lost a step uh, as he nears age 30. Now, who knows? Maybe a rejuvenated, you know, Siakam could be there as he closes out this contract year and uh, as he finds a new home. But uh, I think it'd be, you know, totally unfair to act like he's Ananobi on that end. But yes, the trade would be different. Uh, Walker possibly wouldn't be my favorite thing in the world. Mather would be a no. But I still think the three first-round picks would have done something to, uh, yeah, to entice the Raptors. I feel like Siakam, you're looking for Robin and you got Aquaman. Like he's really good, and he does. He, there are some things he does that are really elite. But you take him out of the water, and he's got some limitations. Yeah, I I, I like that. I, I'd also say this, and and Jake, you let in with the Paul George comment and and you know i i think that is a real thing that we need to give more credence to of tyrese halliburton and you know i I was bullish on this throughout the team usa experience for halliburton and you started to hear player comments coming out of that experience i i would argue halliburton ranks right up there with any player in the league the guys want to play with right now and while the Siakams and Ananobis of the world might not seem readily available as crystal clear as those two have been really for the better part of the last year, I think players like that, um, they are just hiding behind a tree. And if you make the right call and you catch a team at the right time, you can find those guys. I mean, hell, look at Halliburton himself. You know, two years ago, multiple weeks before the trade deadline, no one would have thought Sacramento was going to part ways with Halliburton. And then all of a sudden the Pacers, you know, offered the right package and boom, you have the trade that has, you know, reshaped this franchise moving forward. Um, again, I think you, I, I heard Adrian Wojnarowski use this quote about Halliburton yesterday. And I thought it was a great quote of Halliburton allows the Pacers to play up a level market wise. You know, typically we, we, we hear players of this elk and we don't think the Pacers can be on the other markets. I think Halliburton's presence allows them, to be a player in that. So, again, I know that Siakam, it's been the rumored guy for the past year. I think there are other guys that might not be as obvious right now, but are kind of lurking in that, oh, man, uh, I would love to have been in Indiana, or I would like to play next to Tyrese Halliburton. And, frankly, I think the all-star game is only going to help that when Halliburton, you know, gets even more face time with those guys in his own city. So, uh, in the here and now, um, it seemed like we all were just super into this, like, Siakam or bust, Siakam or bust. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get that some guys are on certain timelines that you have to make decisions on. But I think even when you get to this offseason, there will be others uh, of a similar caliber, maybe a little younger, that are very open-minded to coming here to Indiana as well. I guess the one good news is, not one, I mean, Siakam's a very good player, don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, assuming that he resigns here, they did not – theoretically Kevin really give up a lot to get him I know that, that you know the picks sure. but we you know we've gone over all of that uh what was your favorite Sports Illustrated cover of all time uh, not Tiger including Mas- the swimsuit issues well yeah oh boy um yeah Tiger Masters who a one or oh two win uh one of the two it's the shot behind the 18th tee for my Sports Illustrated cover nerds out there that collect them like I have done um yeah it's the beautiful shot down the 18th at augusta tigers at the top of his backswing 
Um, yeah, that to me is the uh, is the iconic one. What's the one you, you've always brought it up to me? You were furious after one IU national title that they weren't on the cover. I just talked about it. Eighty-seven. I, listen, and this probably was their undoing. To be honest with you, I mean, it was all downhill from from there. Indiana wins the national title on a last second shot. Essentially, I mean, seven seconds left. Right, Key Smart. And they put the Cleveland Indians on the cover. It said Indian Uprising with Corey Snyder and Joe Carter, and that team lost 100 games that year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, shame you're not so bitter about it here. 36 I, years later, I, whatever it is, you know, my uh, my nephew came over a few weeks ago, and I've, I've been, you know, he's really into you know, sporting cards. He's, he's seven, and I've been kind of showing him some of my old ones. Actually, gave him a few of my old sport ornaments that Maddie was very grateful didn't have to go on the tree. And I started looking through my Sports Illustrated covers, and I, I did have to laugh at one. Uh, he had one of Tyrone Willingham when Notre Dame was, I believe, 9-0 and at one point during Willingham's first season there. So there were a lot of covers that, as I went through them, you know, I might not plaster them on the wall, but certainly ones that uh, gave me a good chuckle. Well, you know, well. Kevin, Sports Illustrated, and the reason we're mentioning this, folks, you know, we just mentioned it a few minutes ago, Sports Illustrated, their parent company, emailing staff today that, you know, there are going to be massive layoffs and, you know, the the future of the – the business is certainly in jeopardy. We hope the best for everybody that's involved with that. Um, Sports Illustrated, though, Kevin, is one of those things, kind of like baseball cards, where everybody was collecting them and holding on to them, and so there's like no value to them. But I think most guys still have like that box in the basement of old Sports Illustrated's, right? And they're they are kind of fun to flip through, admittedly. I, you know, yeah, and I don't I don't want to speak in hyperbole here, but like I don't know if. Sports Illustrated hadn't been around. I don't know if I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Like, it had that sort of impact on me as as a young kid. I mean, I, I didn't love writing. I, like, that was not uh, something that I enjoyed doing. I was probably much more of, like, a math geography nerd back in school than, than writing. But flipping to the back page to read Rick Riley was, was a must for me. And... Um, I mean, every Thursday, I remember like it was yesterday, I'd be sprinting to the mailbox to get my Sports Illustrated. And um, yeah, it, it's a, it's an extremely sad day for that. And I do want to mention, you know, here locally, um, whether it's Jake Arthur covering the Colts, whether it's Tony East, you know, covering the Pacers. Um, I, I've texted both of them and, and I don't, I, I don't, I think for now, they're they are okay i think they're maybe in like a subset that necessarily wasn't directly impacted but i say for now um unfortunately um but again those are two really really talented dudes who do great work and tony specifically you know is on so many of our shows and uh obviously thinking about them because you know you and i both certainly have been uh in these situations before where you know there's a lot of uncertainty and you just don't know Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him weekday 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kev, going back to the Pacers, when you look at the departure of Bruce Brown and his brief stint here, and you look at their willingness to move on from him, did it have more to do with your mind of just a salary match, or did it make more sense in terms of where the Pacers are from a timeline standpoint? By that, I mean Jake and I discussed this yesterday I felt like Bruce Brown was a perfect fit for the Nuggets last year because they already were a championship starting five, and he was a perfect six man off the bench. Were they maybe a year early with that piece, or do you think I'm reading too much into that and it was just a salary match? No, that's a good way to put it. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I mean, from Toronto's standpoint, it sounds like they might be open-minded to moving Brown again, like for a championship-type team. So maybe they viewed Brown as, you know, he, he's not necessarily going to be a part of our future, but, um, you know, we can even get more down the road by moving him here in the next couple of weeks. And I, it looked like he had a pretty nice debut for them last night. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a hair early on that. Maybe there was a little bit of like, Ah, oh, boy, that, you know, that tier one defender, I'm trying to think of like a Rick Carlisle phrase he's always used with Bruce Brown. Like, okay, it, maybe it's there, but, like, it's not necessarily there against the big wings in the East. You know, maybe it's more there against a Damian Lillard or, you know, a Drew Holiday. I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe a little bit shorter guards that, that, that you would look at. Um, I thought Brown, since his injury, though, you know, again, he missed what well, was a couple games there with that knee injury. Um, since he's come back, I, I thought he had given the Pacers a little bit more um, here recently. You know, it, that that stretch kind of mid-December when they gave up, what was it, like 150 to the Clippers that one night. And then they had the practice after, and they've been much better defensively since then. I do think he was, you know, giving you a good amount. I mean, hell, his best game of the season might have been Sunday in Denver for the ring ceremony. He was very good in that game as well. But, yeah, it, it, that is probably a good point, Jimmy. You know, maybe it's a hair early for a move like that, um, when in reality this is still a team that, um, you know, I, I don't think is at that doorstep. Jumping around a little bit with you here, is this year around IU hoops so weird, so strange, that despite the fact they are 11.5-point underdogs tonight at Wisconsin – that it would just be so apropos for this to be the team that somehow wins in Wisconsin for the first time since 98? Boy, um, talk about a thought that hasn't crossed my mind all day. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't know how strange it's been. Like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, out-of-body results that IU's even had in a positive way this season. I guess Kansas <laughs> for 37 minutes. Like, I, I don't – I mean, I, I haven't seen them pull off an upset I, I, I don't know maybe I'm missing something but I mean the best win is what Ohio State at home or yeah. at, you know at, at Michigan <laughs> I mean it's crazy that sounds at Michigan like so I yeah I, I don't I mean because this is one you need like there. this is absolutely one you need yeah, in yeah. terms of where you're at and counting quad one quad two wins if you're a nerd like me no 1000% I mean I, I said it today and I preface it by saying to Andy like I feel so dumb for even talking about IU and a NCAA tournament resume because, like, we aren't there yet. Even a win tonight, right? You are still multiple wins of this sort of, you know, uh, road top twenty-five. Everyone described it uh, description from really truly discussing it. But honestly, and the fan base, you know, large chunk won't look at it in this light. But from a purely NCAA tournament resume standpoint, tonight means more than Tuesday did. Um, just strictly from yeah. a what have you done away from home because they've done nothing outside of, you know, at Michigan and and Louisville, which again is not Louisville. So uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be wild to say the least if that were to happen. I, I, we'll, we'll see if Jake can get this one. Uh, Jake, do you remember the leading score the last time IU won in Madison? We looked this up today in '98. '98. Uh-huh. Okay, give me, think, give me give uh, me give yeah. me three guesses here. Uh, I'll go with. Boy, I'm I'm forgetting years of transfer. Luke Record would be my first guess. I want to say he had the third or fourth most points in the okay. game. Jason Collier? No. AJ Guyton. I want to say Guyton was second, maybe. Michael Lewis was also on that list. Uh twenty three and twelve, if I remember correctly, for Andre Patterson. Okay. Boy, that's 
And Andre Patterson was a was a good player, like for like fifteen games. I mean, just based on you know he was so highly touted coming in, and then he had his one shining moment with I think it was thirty nine against Duke. But that would make sense. I mean, he was a good player, obviously finished strong. There was such a weird thing back then, Kevin, where it was almost like once guys knew they were out from underneath Knight's grip in the second half of their senior year, they finally became players. It was it was a weird deal for sure. Um, hey, let me ask you this, Kevin. Yesterday, Greg Doyle was on with John. We had Bob Kravitz on. Both of them had the same point, which I think is interesting, and I don't totally disagree with it, that it's time for Jim Irsay to hand over control of his football team to the daughters. Now, I don't mean that to say that there is any thought or anything like that that he will not overcome the health challenges that he currently has. But if he is not able to be around the team from a health standpoint day to day, is it a fair statement to say that they should begin exploring a transfer of power within the Colts? Yeah, I, I certainly uh, understand or I guess agree with you know what Bob and Greg laid out um, in, in their respective columns. I also think, and I brought this up to Greg Rickshaw, we had him on earlier today, I don't know if it's a misconception, but like Jim Irsay is not making that many daily decisions for the Colts, and I don't think has done that for quite some time, really. Um, I mean, sure, when you talk about the top of the food chain of a sign-off on Shane Steichen, you know, sign, I mean, hell, hire Chris Ballard, uh, you know, big financial decisions in regards to, I guess, you know, whatever, stadium, city stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly league league meeting stuff. Yeah, he's involved. But, you know, day-to-day operations, and and I would argue, and maybe it's too high of a percentage to throw on it, I'd argue 90% of the stuff. You know, Carly Ursay, the oldest daughter who, you know, I think if anybody has been out to training camp practice or certainly even at Colts games has seen her on the sidelines. I mean, she is the one that is the the leader in that. Pete Ward, their longtime COO, longtime, I mean, he's pretty much an Ursay without the last name. You know, he would be one that is making a lot of those decisions as well. You know, even Kaylin Ursay or Kaylin Jackson, I should say, the youngest Ursay daughter as well. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, I, I don't. I just feel like, you know, people are, uh, I don't know, assuming that, you know, Ursa is like the CEO of a startup company and is in the office every day. I, I don't, I, I don't think that's necessarily true with him. I mean, hell, he's doing a lot from, you know, a, a collection standpoint and he certainly travels a good amount. Um, so that, you know, passing of the torch, however you want to describe it, I don't think it's maybe as immense day to day operationally for the organization as one might think. Certainly, there are some big, big decisions at any time. There's a change in power, and financially, um, you know, passing that down to a different generation, there are plenty of questions left to be answered. Uh, but I think just right now, and, and I could say this for the past, you know, X amount of years, um, I think that he's given a lot of control to his daughters and to Pete Ward from a day-to-day standpoint. Now, Kevin, allow me to ask this. We, we knew, we found out earlier today. I saw. That and this seems to be like a, an every year thing now, but that the combine is going to be back in Indianapolis for another year. I mean, we know that the NFL calendar is such that the owners' meetings or the next the next NFL owners' meetings would be when end of March. Um, that's their biggest one of the year. It's their annual meetings, um, and, and yeah, Jamie and I were talking about this on Wednesday. That is one I'm very looking 
looking forward isn't the right isn't the right phrase, but that's one I think to pay attention to because you know, John asked me, you know, when would we hear something from the league? And I think that and that's what I was going to ask you is if he if if Jim Mercer is not able to go to that, Kevin, does the league then? In the past, I think one of the daughters has gone to the owners' meetings, but like if Jim Mercer himself is not physically there, does the league or do the other owners then ask questions or speak up or however you want to look at it? Yeah, I, I think the league even announces like, hey, you know, uh, Carly Ursay will be voting on behalf of the Colts at these league meetings. I, I'm pretty sure the league has done that in the past with other ownerships um, that have had whatever similar situation like this. Um, and, and, I mean, the whole family goes to the owners' meetings. Again, Pete Ward is there. I mean, it, uh, Shane Steichen and Chris Bauer are there. I mean, it, it's a huge ordeal, the annual meetings in uh, in March. They flip-flop from Florida and Arizona every year. So, um, again, I would think you'd get some sort of announcement. And Jim Irsay usually speaks, you know, um, to you know members of the local media that, that, that travel to that as well. So, you know, more so than the Combine, honestly, in late February. I, I don't recall Irsay ever having a super public presence at the Combine. Uh, it would definitely be those annual meetings, which is probably a hair over two months from now of when you would get potentially a, the next comment from the Colts or even the league stepping in and saying, oh, you know, okay, when we vote for whatever, this TV contract or international games here or this rule change, uh, you know, one of the 32 representatives, the Colts will have, you know, again, Carly Ursay or, who, or whoever uh, on behalf of them. I honestly think that was the case in 2014, right? Because he was suspended, was it six games or six months? I kind of forget exactly what that was back in 2014 but i think then that was when carly took on i think, a, I think a, it was six games i think it was six games okay six games and then trying to think there was like a super bowl meeting one of the fall meetings i think was in atlanta and that was when Ursay the first time he had talked after the arrest after the um you know the arrest that he brought up with andrew kramer a couple couple months ago so i i think back then 2014 if i'm remembering correctly that would have been carly you know taking the charge then KB, it's divisional round this weekend. Of the Texans, Packers, Buccaneers, or my Chiefs, you could pick one underdog to hit your wagons to. Divisional round weekend, who are you taking? God, do I really have to say the Chiefs? It was a trap question to set you up that way. If that's the way you want to go, welcome. Welcome, brother. Well, welcome to the kingdom. <laughs> I mean, Buffalo's really banged up, right? Defensively, yes. They, they, they're, they're not quite to Miami's level, but yes, they are. No Gabe Davis, I think I Correct. saw as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's you know probably their 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 number two wideout. Obviously, he's had some big moments. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Jimmy. There's so much in my heart that wants Buffalo and Detroit in the Super Bowl. So much of it, and the Western New York fan base. I just love to see their reaction if they were to get it done. But I mean, in a weird way, in Kansas City, I would say slightly more so than Buffalo. You know, both these teams all of a sudden have a running back, and like mm-hmm. I, I would say, a run game you can kind of rely on. Um, you know, with Buffalo, it's like, yeah, Josh Allen on a sweet play. Like it's Ron Colley football back with, you know, Paul Casaro. <laughs> it's like that was their, you know, major rushing offense, you know, back in the past few years. Now it's like, no, James Cook's the real deal. And Isaiah Pacheco is very good as well. So I, I guess both teams are kind of better equipped to handle this weather. But um, I do think Houston can, can potentially keep it interesting. You know, I thought the Marlon Humphrey, Ravens top corner being ruled out. It doesn't look like Mark Andrews is going to play. Uh, I am kind of curious if Lamar Jackson feels any of that, you know, playoff record pressure at all. So I'm curious if Houston can make it interesting tomorrow at all. But yeah, I would say probably Kansas City is the one you would have to go with. Only one James Cook gets happiness this week. Here's my. Be clear. (laughs) Here's my query guarantee. You ready? Uh oh. 
Nah, guarantees oh guarantees strong, but my prediction. Is this, this like a, Charles is Barkley? Is this a debut guarantee like Eddie mentioned, like Charles, no, or have just, you done this, this in the is, past? I have a gut feeling on this, and, right. and, and my gut's a little bigger than it used to be. Um, Kevin, you give me your reaction to this. Both Baltimore and San Francisco will not win this weekend. One of those two is going to get knocked off. Well, before my reaction, is this like your guarantee of Indiana beating Michigan back this fall? <laughs> oh, that listen. <laughs> I had forgotten. I thought when I made that guarantee, and I'm sticking by it, I thought Tom Allen was getting fired before that. I, I didn't know that Tom Allen was making the trip. Once I found that out, I, you know, it was tough, right? Yeah, right. Fifty-two to seven. That interim coach would have. They were up seven nothing. They were up seven nothing. Don't kid yourself. Or whatever that final score was. I, yeah, again, Houston and Baltimore is interesting to me, and I, I think Jordan Love is you know such a tantalizing the word popping in my head of like you know I, I I can't wait to watch that as well. But every time I felt that way about San Francisco and have written off Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan just laughs at me. So I can't go there, but. Can Houston put game pressure on Baltimore? You know, Baltimore, it's not like – I don't think we're on Peyton Manning 06 levels. But, like, there is – I think there's a lot of pressure on Baltimore just of, you know, being the – what are they, 10-point favorite, something yeah. like that at home. And um, so that is one that I'm keeping my keeping my eye on. I um, By the way, Jordan Love, before we let you go, Kevin, during the draft process, Chris Ballard was not high on Jordan Love, correct? Yeah, not a big fan of the character. Um yeah, they did a they had a call with Love Ballard specifically with him. You know, just in the days leading up to the draft, and I don't think it was blown away by the very immense kind of quarterback character trait that Ballard has out there. And if you remember, you know, Love, I forget what the exact arrest was, but some sort of possession of marijuana. I think or that's what it was, right, or a positive right test, before, right? Yeah, right before the bowl game, and. Um, so yeah, that, that was the hot rumor that the Colts were going to trade back into round one. That was the year they traded their pick for DeForest Buckner. People thought they'd trade back into round one and take love. And that was the COVID draft. And Ballard made it very clear after round one was complete when Green Bay took him at 26, that he was like, nope, nope, nope. That could not be further from the truth. I was eating popcorn watching the draft. And yeah, we did not think about a quarterback at all. They ended up taking, you know, Pittman early in the second round, Jonathan Taylor late in the second round, but yeah, I mean, if you want, you know, again, hindsight's very twenty twenty. But if you look back on that draft, it, it right now is on track to go down. It's, I think, one of the better quarterback drafts in years, certainly in years. Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, those were all in the top six. The Colts had the 13th pick before they traded for Buckner. So if you want to look at it, they passed on Jordan Love and they passed on Jalen Hurts in that draft. That would have been the first draft post-Andrew Luck. I guess – Taking DeForest Buckner 13th overall, if you want to put it in those terms, also a pretty good pick. You know what I mean? I mean, it worked out. Sure. He's, he's an elite sure. player. Um, all right, Kevin, enjoy the weekend. I don't know if Notre Dame's playing this weekend, but if they are, good luck. Enjoy it. Weekend off. Hallelujah to the Bowen household for that. Thank you, boys. <laughs> Kevin Bowen, who you'll hear at 7 o'clock in the morning talking about all the NFL games um, as they unfold and probably talking about the fact that it's going to be Green Bay. It's going to stun the world. Jordan Love's going to go in and stun the world and beat the Niners. That's what they're going to be talking about. Uh, I did not sleep well last night. I was staring at the ceiling at like 4 in the morning, and I had one of my insomniac brain droppings, and I wanted to run past you guys a sports theory and question that I have that happens when I don't sleep, and we'll do that next. You're listening to Query Covered here, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
Okay, it's probably dangerous to get into the inner psychosis of my brain at like four in the morning when I'm not sleeping. But I thought of this as I was laying there staring at the ceiling. Let's say that you are a Division One level athlete as a basketball player from Ron Colley High School, your high school, Jimmy. Go Royals. Big one tonight at Newport. So you are not, and I'll say this because I, I like this guy and we know him and he's been a friend of this station. We'll say you are a Jared Odell player. And and by that, I mean Jared Odell would be the first to tell you. You know, he was a really good college basketball player for certain, but there was never the illusion that he was like a one and done or that kind of thing. So you are going and you have the opportunity to play at that level as a role player and later year starter at Indiana or Purdue or Ball State or whatever it may be. So a two-part question. The first is, if your choices were between going, let's say, to Indiana or Purdue, either one, in-state, or going to an elite academic institution like a Stanford, which do you believe, do you think that the potential business earnings or lifelong earnings of living in Indiana as a former Indiana player or Purdue player would offset the clout that would come with a degree from Stanford University versus at no disrespect in Indiana or Purdue. I mean, I understand a Stanford degree is different, but I, I think that you could still offset it from the clout standpoint, but also depending on what you're doing as a student, like I'd put... Purdue School of Engineering and the Kelly School of Business up against anybody in the country. Like, I would. And maybe there's bias and uh, okay. tunnel vision there, there is for bias me. There, yes. but, but, Th- but That would not compare to a degree no, from Stanford. I, I, I get that. But, I mean, it's not like it's... You're acting like it's a... An, I'm sorry to disrespect... I don't know if they're a sponsor. You're acting like it's a small community college in terms of what you're... No, but what I'm saying... Okay, then Harvard. Yeah, uh, yeah if it's Harvard. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, saying... Yeah, like, sure. like if, it's, if it's an Ivy League school, it's a entirely different conversation for me. I get it. Stanford's grouped into that same makeup, but... Yeah, Stanford's above the Ivy League, sure. probably. But for the sake of that, we'll say Harvard. Sure. Then then I would – I'm not going to go pro, though, you're saying. I'm just going to be a high-level college player, but that's probably it for me. Yeah, you're a guy that's going to average nine points and four yeah, rebounds then, then, I, then I would go the best place I could for my education, which okay. would be the Ivy League. So then that leads to my second question here. Okay. Do you believe that if you go to a Harvard or a Stanford or – I mean, I'll put those two. I, I, I just think of those two as a totally different crust. Let's say Duke, I guess, as well. If you go to those schools as a prominent athlete, not a professional player level, but a prominent athlete, is the value of your degree from a reputation and prestige standpoint offset by the perception to people that you only went there because you were an athlete and you did not otherwise have the academic criteria to get in. Yeah. Yeah, it's offset by those that matter. It might not be offset publicly, like, but in terms of the world of business, right. like that's, that's all that I matters mean. is the degree. So like if you but but what I'm saying is if you have a degree from Stanford, okay, and you go in you you post it on your resume, you have a degree from Stanford University. Sure. And the person that's looking at your resume goes, "This guy's got a degree from Stanford." And then they say, "Well, he yeah, he played basketball there." Does that? Do you think that they automatically assume 
Oh, okay. Well, that's a little bit different because he probably had a lot of assistance and was not truly an like. And I'm not saying that it's dumb jock type. Thing. I'm just saying, like, do you think they think like, well, that's different than like he had to. He was one of the like 2.8 percent of kids that got accepted to Stanford out of high school. If it is a business major degree, and you're a player versus a normal person, I would like to think that the resume checker is not saying, oh well. They had a ton of help, and they're probably no. I think it. I think it's offset still by where the degree came from, where your GPA is at. Like even if you had help, you get help in the workplace all the time, depending on where you're working at, right? Like it, it's it's not all just on you. And on top of that, I would like to sell myself if I was an athlete. Of yes, I might have had some help along the way, but look at my work ethic to be able to have this right. GPA that's and fair. still be this level of a player. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I think that, but I do think that there is a stigma of and especially once you start getting into like if you if you're talking about business people that are Stanford or Duke or Harvard grads it's a different it's a totally different school of fish right it's a totally different mindset and i could see there being kind of a like one-eyed like look at well you know, I know that when I was an IB student with 52 credit hours coming out of high school and a 1590 on my SAT and I still was waitlisted at Stanford, that's different than this guy that was there on a volleyball scholarship. I, well, see, then we get into a deeper conversation of the sport you're playing and no disrespect to volleyball players or out basketball, there. But, or but, basketball but, 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 but or say, football or whatever. I say that because when you talk about a power sport like basketball or football, I would argue the exact opposite happens because if you're the whatever president of the company and you are a Harvard grad and all of a sudden, because Harvard basketball is your favorite program to root for, you have an opportunity to get Joe Smith who just led them to an Ivy League title. You're like, no, I I don't look down on him. It's like, oh, great. Joe Smith's going to be here every day. Let's go. But, But then when Joe Smith is representing your company and somebody's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a guy that's a Harvard grad. Does somebody go, does somebody else say, well, I know that the company is that 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 we're dealing with is sending over the Harvard guy, but if I'm not mistaken, I saw him in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that you know what I mean. That 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 is that's a shallow way of thinking. It probably does happen, but it's also an ignorant way of thinking because I don't want to say anybody can get into a school because I understand how competitive it is to get there. But just because you're there on a scholarship, you still do have to go to class. You still no, do have it. to do some of the work. I would argue that is a thought of ignorance to say that. Oh well. He's only there because yes, he is only there, but not everybody that's only at a school on a scholarship also seizes the opportunity to gain the academic Correct. edge that you have. Right. Although, I, I, again, I think the, you know, I will tell you this. I mean, I went to, and I, in college, I lived with guys that played basketball in Indiana. And I, yes, they went to class, don't get me wrong. And yes, they did the schoolwork, but it was a totally different experience. I'm sure. I don't doubt they that. They didn't at all. have to worry about, do you remember like at IU when you were registering for classes like closed class openers and like I've got to get there at 8 in the morning to register because I need this class and I mean I, you know you would be on campus at IU and meet kids that were there for a fifth year and you're like wait you didn't graduate last year and like well I, I needed two classes but they I couldn't get in they were yeah. full and I couldn't get in so I had to come back for another semester that and then like you know buying your textbooks and just the little nuances that go into it it's two different college experiences not to mention yeah not to mention the the consistent 
you know, tutoring that's free and yeah. the access and the resources are definitely there. Yeah, there, now, they, I mean, they have to do it, up. don't get me wrong. Yes. You but, know what I mean? But but it definitely... But but even if you have experience. all that help, even if you have all that, you still have tests that you take, you still have final stuff that you have to get done. No, you're right. And and I will say, that's got to be a... Ba- I mean, I, I do think about when I watch like a bowl game, mm-hmm. you know, I'm watching it, I'm like, wait a minute, so like these guys are playing in this bowl game and they have like term papers they have to write that are due in two weeks i mean it, it, it's impr- sure. the the time management is for certain a discipline that, that i didn't have i mean admittedly i did not have jake i was a sports comm major there's a difference between being a sports comm major and a business major like i could have played if i had the gifts i could have played and majored in sports comm right it all depends on what your class load is that you're talking about right um we'll come back and get jimmy's picks and go over what we think is going to happen this weekend in the nfl next the Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. Today's Plays of the Day. One note, we don't have player prop points yet for any pacer, in part because maybe it's a Pascal Siakam debut. Maybe Tyrese Halliburton's out there along with him. you have to wait and see, continue to look on Twitter. If that does happen, though, I don't care what it is, give me the over on points for Pascal Siakam. In the NFL divisional round of the playoffs, we will take the Houston Texans scooping the 9.5. They are 9.5 point underdogs in Baltimore against the Ravens. I think the Texans cover that number. We will also take the Green Bay Packers plus 9.5 on the road in San Francisco. Detroit Lions looking to go to the NFC Championship game. They'll do so with ease. Lay 6.5 on the Detroit Lions. They host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Chiefs Bills will take the Chiefs as dogs outright on the money line. Plus 124 is the juice there. In that same game, Travis Kelsey finds the end zone. Eddie told me he did not have any plays unless that has changed, which it has not. Those are your plays of the day. Wait a minute. Explain this to me. Uh Uh-huh. Like at the end of the baseball season, Eddie's throwing out like nine. Like, well, I really think the Twins will change pitchers <laughs> between the fourth and sixth inning. Scoop that, and uh, I, I'm I'm actually a fan. I mean, Eddie, like, you know, I, I like Long Beach State volleyball uh, to win in three sets. And yet, don't forget about darts. NFL divisional weekend, and the two of you who are like cohorts of degenerates, and Eddie doesn't know have I mean, anything on NFL weekend. I know I'm, I am a little disappointed, but that said, he is a very busy man, and I've been on that side of the board. I know it's busy. I am more of a player props person. I don't like to play spreads, and I don't like I got, to play totals. I got one for you. It's cool. Josh Allen over half an interception. I got you. You're welcome. It's a good thing they he had has the playoffs. Only has four in his career. So, yeah. I got one for you. JMV, a half an hour of sleep on Saturday night. Nice. Take the over or the under. Uh, I, uh, I may not take What do you have on, on Sunday? Um, well, I've got JMV takeover Saturday. And then by the time I get home about 2 in the morning, there may be some nudity on TV. That's So yeah. that'll keep me up. You know, how about that Phoebe Cates picture I sent you? <laughs> Can we I discuss? Never noticed that. That's why. That's why we're really good friends. You know that. <laughs> I never noticed that. That actually made her more impressively desirable for me. <laughs> I uh, I discovered a photo from Phoebe Cates during the filming of Fast Times mm-hmm. that you were a fan of. It was the red bikini, baby. The red bikini. Hey, favorite SI cover of all time. I know what. Uh, <laughs> Are we going non-swimsuit? Non-swimsuit issue, right? 
you remember Dion Cherry? Yeah. Dion Cherry. Um, Christian Okoye is probably going to say some Kansas City thing, right? So Nigerian Nightmare. Nice. Look at you. Barry Word. Thunder and Lightning, baby. What do you think? Boy, that's t- I've been th- actually thinking about it. We're going non-swimsuit edition, right? I mean, yeah, Kathy Ireland's yeah, with it. But, um, you know, I mean, I grew up a huge... You know what? I loved it when Eric Dickerson was on there because it was so surreal for me to see Indianapolis on the cover and it said, one happy Colt. That could not, not have been more inaccurate. <laughs> um, but Or one happy camper, I think is right, what it said. Right, right. Uh, that's up there. But, you know, I'd have to go with... Bob Knight signed for me when I was a kid the cover that he was on with the Rabbit Hunter feature in 1981. I'd probably go with that. A lot of people around here from 81 would have Isaiah Thomas cutting down the the net for sure. Um, For me, it would have been February of 1985, and they were supposed to get the cover, but Gretzky ended up with the cover. And Jeff Oliphant, Tony Patterson, and Alan M. All about Hoosier hysteria. And they had a major part in that. That was by far the biggest and most popular edition that. of that, of Sports Illustrated. You know, where I'm from. L and M, the L and M One of the great ones, the Larry Bird at Indiana State with the two cheerleaders, you know, the yeah. seat about yeah. him being a secret, like, you know, shushing everybody was, was strong. Kid Dynamite, also. Mike Tyson, I want to say that's his one. first one. Right? Uh, I have, so. I still have Jordan when he was on the Olympic team, and it said, um, like, up, up, up for glory, I think. Another one, Jordan's rookie year, A Star is Born. I still have that one. But like everybody, John, everybody yeah. saved the covers and thought, you know, one of the most impactful or effective, it's not a good one, but when Lynn Bias passed away, Death of a Dream, I still remember that one. I mean, By the way, I said Deron Cherry instead of Dion. I think I said Dion Cherry. Deron Cherry was the uh, former guy in the secondary. Um which I, I messed that up. But it's sad about that, too. Faces in the crowd. You guys personally know anybody uh, that ever was faces in the crowd? Steve Alford was in the faces in the crowd in the 1982 Terry Cummings Rookie Sweet. of the Year Sports Illustrated cover. Terry Cummings. Yep. Mm. Did you know anybody in faces in the crowd? I don't think I did. I do you remember, I do you remember the maybe. episode? I, I still know I still know this. and it, The issue, um, when Damon Bailey was listed as the number one freshman in the country, I can still tell you, Barnabas James was the number one eighth grader. Marcus Liberty was the number one senior. Mm-hmm. Marcus the, Liberty. Um, the number one junior was Alonzo Morning. Uh, no, Morning was senior. Marcus Liberty was junior. Uh, and then Bailey was was freshman. And the sophomore was some kid from Utah that never played anywhere. So Marcus Liberty was the Jimmy Collins and all that deal. Correct. Back there. Correct. Right? And Bruce Pearl ratted him out. That's exactly, and, and that was all. No, uh, he was also days right there. Hold on, no, Marcus, and I know we're way over. Um, what was the big center's it's name? Right, John, help me. Who was planned. the who was Nothing. the center at Illinois? It wasn't Marcus Liberty that was part of that scandal with, with Bruce Pearl on the phone, though. That was um, who was Dion the- Dion. Huh. Deion Thomas. Deion Thomas? Deion Thomas yeah, was Deion the Thomas. player that was yeah, in the middle was of the, the Bruce Pearl. I thought you were going to bring up Andy Kaufman. Remember Andy Kaufman? He <laughs> yeah. looked like Frankenstein. Look he at did. Iron, iron that board with arms. He and, <laughs> he and Doug Altenberger. <laughs> <laughs> <and, laughs> <laughs> then Richard Keene suddenly had great hair and was scoring for Illinois. Uh, John's up next. I am. And we will be back with you at noon. Thanks for listening, See everybody. Jimmy the Party Company.